When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night, this is Extra Time on SENZ. I'm gonna call it now. Just gone seven o'clock here on SENZ Extra Time. Uh, the theme song there for Ian Foster's entry to the New Zealand rugby offices this afternoon. Uh, ahead of the announcement, uh, which was, I've got to say, from my point of view, and it is an opinion, was disappointing. So New Zealand rugby have effectively done nothing. Um, they've let a guy who people say two and seven is his record. No, it's, it's, it's one and six because the other win was when Joe Schmidt was taking the team and he was always sick. Um, so he stays in charge. Uh, and, I mean, they say they've added Joe Schmidt to the coaching group, like that that's some new piece of information, but they added him to the coaching group ahead of the Island series. So they have effectively done absolutely nothing. Um, yeah, uh, the uh, you know, I'd, I've said on this show before and uh, talked to other people like Hamish Bidwell, etc., about it, is that the arrogance knows no bounds. They cannot admit they are wrong. And they haven't. Um, sure, they had a win against South Africa, but look at that Springboks team. Look, great to get the win. Don't take away from that. But they didn't. The Springboks didn't start the same team that dominated us in the first test. Malcolm Mark started on the bench for a start. I mean, he dominated the breakdown for the first 50 minutes of that test. He didn't play the first, what, half hour or so of the second test. Uh, and that allowed the All Blacks to get some front foot dominance. So... Yeah, disappointing. As an All Blacks fan, disappointing with the news today that Ian Foster was endorsed by the New Zealand Rugby Board uh, as All Blacks coach through to the World Cup. As Jamie Wall, a uh, respected rugby journalist and author, uh, tweeted, sack yourselves. That was his entire response to the uh, 2.30 announcement. If you missed the 2.30 announcement, this was it. Delighted to get um, the... Strong support from both Robbo and, and the board for for us going forward. It's uh, clearly been a difficult time. You know, the start of this campaign is we didn't get what we wanted against Ireland, and then that created our, it's a lot of performance stress. Um, that's part of my job, and and I expect to be to be grilled in that space. And and so through the last month, we've had a number of conversations about how we can grow our organisation and make sure that we get the performance that we want on the park. We've 
we have made some changes and, and we're, we're continuing to, to keep evaluating our group to make sure we've got what we need to, uh, going through to the World Cup and really delighted with where we've got to, I guess, from today onwards. Um, just talk about the addition of, of Joe Smith. Um, Joe Smith's been um, on my radar probably for a couple of years. He's we, we flagged at the start of this year that his role was to join us after the Irish series as a independent selector to replace Grant Fox. And but it was, in addition, he was going to do some analysis, opposition analysis work for, and work alongside my, alongside myself in the strategy area. Um, we started that after the Irish series. Uh, delighted with how that's going. Got a great relationship with Joe and how that works. And. And subsequently, in conversations, we've now decided to move him from the, the computer room and, and actually put him on the park a little bit more. And so he, on the park, he's going to work alongside myself and to a slightly lesser extent, uh, Stormy, in terms of having a, a, a bit of an impact on the park with, with the attack part of the game. Um, uh, so delighted with that. And and as, as Stuart mentioned, you know, delighted with the growth and the impact of Jason in addition to our group. So... Really feel confident about it. We're, I guess, uh, it's a bit different for the All Blacks. We're, we're a group that's gone through a little bit of change in the, in the coaching area. But I think um, that's been reflective of of us trying to chase the the performance levels we want, and and it's also reflective of a group of players that we are we're clearly making a few changes on the park too in terms of personnel and trying to get this group to the point that. We have a, a really strong nucleus to go through to that World Cup, and I think you saw the last couple of weeks an introduction of a few newer players in, in that space. So um, for us, it's an exciting period, and again, just can't wait to get back into work and you know go down to Christchurch and get ready for the for the Argentinian travel uh, uh, challenge. I guess that awaits us. I think it's very strong, and um, you know we've had to. The first five tests of this year were always going to be immensely tough. I mean, it's not often we play five tests in a row against teams that are basically ranked higher than us in the world. If you think about it, that's that's the situation we got. So we got tested and we fell a bit short in a few areas. So, um, But what I'd like to reassure people is that we're not just sitting there justifying that. We're actually saying, OK, well, what have we learnt from that? And, and I guess, I mean, I, I've... I feel good about the confidence that I've got from from Mark and Stuart in terms of supporting both myself and the group. Um, I, I think we've got our leadership and our senior players at a point that are probably as strong as I've seen them in recent years, and and they want to own it, and that's a massive part of of where we need to go. So they're pretty good uh, foundation points. What does it mean? Look, it means it, it means a lot, but I, I think. Um, Look, we're a very tight group. And I guess one thing I'll explain is that I'll tell you who we've got the most support from the last month. It's it's from ex-All Blacks from the 2007-2009 period of, of players that have actually been through periods in the All Blacks where things haven't gone that well. And it's been fantastic, the support we've had from the older All Blacks who, who know what it's like to go through a bit of a trough and... And when you're making changes and rebuilding a little bit, and so, so this group is whilst there's been a lot of pressure from external, we, we, we and it's been painted that this never happens to the All Blacks. It does happen to the All Blacks, and it has happened in the past. We've got massive support and advice from people who have been through the walked through the same journey, and 
And I think that's really empowered our current group, who are, haven't been used to the sort of the degree of adversity that we've hit. It's felt foreign, and so we've all wanted to roll our sleeves up and fix it. And so we're in it together. Um, their, their support's been fantastic, but I think whilst uh, it looks like massive support for me, and I love that, I feel very privileged by that, but I think in reality it's, it's massive support for what we're trying to create here. So there you go. That is Ian Foster talking today after he was uh, basically backed by the New Zealand Rugby uh, Board to be the coach through to 2023 World Cup. A few things on that. There's a little bit of rewriting of history, I feel. Um, And I'll, I'll tell you why. He said in there, we've lost a few tests to teams ranked above us in the world. Right? Before the first test against Ireland, New Zealand were number two in the world. South Africa were number one. So, yes, the South Africans were ahead of us, but the Irish weren't. Um, And the way that uh, Ian Foster said that, you know, playing five tests against teams ranked ahead of us in the world, well, they weren't ranked ahead of you, the Irish. They were in fourth when they came here. We were second. So I'm not sure how you uh, you come to that as, uh, as an excuse for why you lost. Oh, we played teams that were better than us. Well, they weren't better than us by the rankings when they got here. Um, so, yeah, that's one thing. And another thing you talked about, you know, uh, Joe Schmidt was always part of his plans two years ago. Was he? That's the first we've heard of that. I'd heard that he was part of uh, what Scott Robertson wanted to do when he proposed what his team would look like for if he got the coaching job. And his team was going to look like having Jason Ryan as the Fords coach and having Joe Schmidt doing analysis and tactics. So they basically just borrowed two of the guys from the plan that Scott Robertson had uh, presented. Hmm. So, yeah, that rewriting history to an extent there uh, doesn't fill me with confidence. I said earlier to a couple of people, I think I might have even put it on Twitter, I was like, so basically, 2023 World Cup, we've got a quarterfinal exit. Our first game of that World Cup is against the French who are hosting the World Cup. If anything is to go by from what we've seen this year, what we saw at the end of the last year, and the fact that it's in front of a, a French home crowd, we're not going to win that game, which means we'll probably finish second in that group. If we finish second in that group, we have to play the team that wins the group that includes, guess who? South Africa and Ireland. Um, so, yeah, quarterfinal exit for me. That's where I'd be putting my money for the 2023 World Cup now that New Zealand Rugby have made this decision. You might disagree. You might agree. Tell us uh, 0800 150 811, 0800 150 811, or you can text us through on double eight double three like Chris has. Fozzie Bear makes it to another season. Grr. Yes. Uh, thank you, Chris, for your text. You keep those coming through on 0800 150 811 or double eight double three. Uh, keen to get your thoughts on the appointment. Well, it's not the appointment, is it? It's, it's the it's the backing that he has been given. Um, as I said, Jamie Wall, who's a prominent rugby author and journalist, and we've had him on this show before. Uh, he's been on plenty of other shows across ECNZ. His entire take on it, social media was sack yourselves. It's not. It's something that he has actually said before as well on uh, on a couple of TV shows I've seen. So, yeah, uh, I don't think this has made anybody happy. 
except maybe Ian Foster and Mark Robinson probably feels a bit better about himself. Uh, but keen to get your thoughts, so you can give us a call 0800 150 811, 0800 150 811, or text us on double eight double three. What else is coming up on the show this hour? Well, we are going to catch up uh, with a Queensland League reporter by the name of Zane Bojack. He's going to talk to us about the Cowboys and what an impressive season they've had, how well they are going. Of course, they uh, take on the Warriors this weekend. Mike Fitchett who was the coach of the Nelson Giants this season in the Sales NBL, is also an assistant coach with the Tall Blacks. Uh, they are heading off to Japan to play a couple of uh, warm-up games against the Japanese before they head to the Saudi Arabia for a World Cup qualifying game against the uh, Saudis and then back here for a game against Jordan. So we'll talk to Mike about the squad, about what they're hoping to achieve up there. Uh, after 8 o'clock, Kevin here is going to come on. Now, if you don't know uh, Kevin, he if, if you want... To know anything about Heartland Championship Rugby, he is the man. He has a great website. It has everything. They stream most of the games off camera wherever they can. And uh, he is an abundant, he has abundant knowledge. He does a lot of work for a lot of the different uh, smaller unions as well that are part of the Heartland Championship. Uh, rugbyheartland.co.nz is his website. Kevin's going to come on because the Heartland Championship kicks off this weekend and uh, he's going to be with us to preview that. Also, Jordan Canelis, he is a football commentator out of Melbourne and he is going to preview Melbourne City versus the Wellington Phoenix tonight in the Australian Cup. It's like their version of the FA Cup is the... Uh, Round of 16, winner of this goes to the quarterfinal, so Jordan is going to uh, join us there. And after 9 o'clock, it is Hoopheads. Yeah, Justin Nelson and Casey Frank are going to be in the house for Hoopheads. We'll uh, wrap the cells NBL, talk a bit of Tall Blacks, get some NBA updates as well. And then after 10 o'clock, uh, your calls will uh, readdress the Foster situation. And Matt Reed, football pundit out of the UK, is going to join us as well to talk about Everton Football Club, Manchester United, Darwin Nunes getting sent off in a possible five-game ban for him, and a few other things, including the transfer window as well. All of that coming your way tonight here on Extra Time. It's 18 past seven here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through to 11 o'clock this evening. Uh, joining us now out of Australia, out of, out of the Sunshine State, in fact, Queensland, uh, from ABC Radio is Zane Bojack. G'day, Zane. How you doing? I'm good, thanks, Ricardo. Shortly, we're also going to be the host of the NRL Grand Final for season 2022. Wow, that's great news. Uh, when did that news come out? <laughs> it hasn't been announced yet. But we're very confident up here. I tell you what, it would be the biggest. It would be the biggest heist if you if you could ever imagine it. Uh, if we were able to steal it from under our, underneath our New South Wales counterparts. Uh, look, it's. It's looking very, very good. At the moment, the Australian Rugby League Commission is actually meeting regarding the NRL Grand Final. And look, uh, everyone in New Zealand knows that, you know, um, your country wasn't able to host NRL football for a long time because of COVID. The New South Wales community couldn't host it last year. And we had, uh, you know, the, the last 10 rounds as well as the finals and the NRL Grand Final here in Queensland. Wouldn't it be amazing if now there's no COVID, we've got everything going well, you've got the footy back in New Zealand, and whoa, lo and behold, the, the NRL Grand Final heads off again to Brisbane. I tell you what, there's a lot of excitement up here. We only got it for the first time in 114 years last year. We might get it twice in 115. Yeah, that is, that'll be massive news. I mean, I, I know New South Wales <laughs> has been plagued by biblical floods and fires, and I don't know, yeah. what, what, why is it going to Queensland, do you think? Are they expecting a plague of locusts next? What's happening? 
Yeah, well, look, this is the interesting thing. So um, for those of you that don't know across the ditch, New South Wales government had provided the guarantees that they were going to pay for upgraded stadiums. So they've already provided the Sydney Football Stadium or um, I think they're calling it Alliance Stadium in the east of Sydney. Um, that brand-new facility will be opening very, very shortly with an NRLW match and, of course, the, the Roosters versus South game, which is going to be an absolute ripper the last round before the finals. But we also were, were supposed to get upgrades to the Homebush Stadium, which is in the west of Sydney, and, of course, where the grand finals held. They decided not to do that. They didn't want to spend that money, the NRL. They went back to the government and said, look, can you spend money on Brookville Oval, which is at the Manly in the northern beaches of Sydney? Can you put money into Leichhardt Oval, which is, of course, in Balmain? Um, and we know that uh, recently there was a railing that broke at Leichhardt Oval and there was a, a group of college students, school students, who fell off that, that balcony um, when they were watching a school football match. So you can imagine if there was an NRL game and you had a catastrophe like that, it would have you know, injured seriously, serious numbers. So the NRL has been pushing for the New South Wales government to actually upgrade the stadiums. They wanted the re the, basically the uh, smaller suburban stadiums fixed up rather than the Homebush Stadium. And then, of course, when the floods happened, as you mentioned, they decided, Dominic Perrottet and his New South Wales government decided that they would rather spend $800 million on flood mitigation, particularly in the Hawkesbury area, rather than upgrading these stadiums. As soon as that happened, that's when the NRL said, well, look, if you're not going to spend the money on where we want it to, why have we got this guarantee in place that we're supposed to host grand finals in New South Wales till 2042? We took it to Brisbane last year. We'll take it to Brisbane again. Is the Queensland government interested? Well, are they interested? The Queensland government's not only come up with the strategy of taking this year's grand final, which they would very, very happily host, considering we've got two Queensland teams and the Cowboys and the Broncos in the top eight as it sits, but also they're pushing for two more grand finals before 2032 when, of course, Brisbane hosts the Olympics. They see it as a way of promoting amongst the rest of the, the country um, the fact that Queensland and particularly Brisbane um, is able to host major events. The other thing is, which you might not realise over New Zealand, is because of this Olympics coming up in 2032, our other major ground in Brisbane, the Gabba, is under, going to be undertaking a billion-dollar reconstruction. So... It's going to become basically the, uh, the, the, the home venue or the, the athletics track, I guess you could say, the um, ceremony um, venue for the Olympics. And that means that the Brisbane Lions and the, the Queensland Bulls, the Australian cricket team, they will have to go to an alternative venue while it's being upgraded. So the Queensland government, Steve, using Lang Park or Suncorp Stadium as it's known, using it as a major facility during those times when we haven't got the Gabba going, and they could see if they could have a couple of grand finals during that period, it would still boost business in the city of Brisbane, in the CBD, where, of course, um, you know, if you don't have major events, you're not actually having those businesses get those dollars. So, look, there's so much at stake here. And Kate Jones, who used to be the Queensland Government Sports Minister, is now on the Australian Rugby League Commission. She came out this morning, Ricardo, and said she thinks it's 60-40 weighted in favour of Queensland. And Peter Volandis, who's the chairman of the ARLC, he is desperate to leverage the New South Wales government. So he might not necessarily give it to us, but he's going to use us as much as he can to get that money up from New South Wales and get those guarantees. So, look, to be honest, I think we're in the box seat, but we need to find out maybe the next hour and a half. And then, of course, um, yeah, it's, it's all full steam towards that, that grand final. It wouldn't be wonderful. Last year we hosted it between the Rabbitohs and Penrith, but unfortunately, due to COVID, we had to cap it at 39,000. They took 13,000 seats away from grand final ticket holders. This time, we would love to host it, have the full 
activities throughout the week and, you know, have the, uh, the, all of the supporters in King George Square in Brisbane just make it an absolute festival and a celebration, whereas last year it had to be curtailed, as we know, because there was another COVID wave that came through. Yeah, superb. Uh, well, I look forward to hearing that news. So you expect that to be uh, announced tonight, the decision? Yes, in the next hour and a half or so, we should find out. I know everyone's on tender hooks. There's still a perception down in Sydney that it's going to stay in the, the homeland, in the in the traditional city. But um, the one thing I can say is that they said that on Monday night and it really got the goat of of Peter Volandis. And, and here in Queensland, we know that our Premier has been having very high-profile talks with him. Um, and, and she's of the belief that we're going to get it. So uh, I don't think he's very happy with the New South Wales government leaking against him and the NRL. So let's just hope that his blood boils until they make the decision and Queensland's got the grand final. Well, that's the thing. Peter Volandis doesn't strike me as a man that likes to be told what he's going to do. So I, yeah, I, I think I think you're onto something there. I think yeah, that could definitely go uh, in your favour, Zane. Hey, we, we should talk um, should talk Warriors, though. They, they are playing your Cowboys yes. this weekend um, yes. over there. And, uh, you know, for us, I talked to uh, Michael Luck uh, pre-season yep. um, and just to see what they had going on up there and... You know, got a, t- a take on how they were doing things, and he talked a lot about culture and environment and things. And mm. you, know, you often hear that from sports administrators. Um, Lucky, maybe it holds a bit more weight over here because he's, he, you know, so respected here. Um, but I looked at mm. what they'd done recruitment-wise, and it wasn't a lot, to be honest. You know, and they finished second bottom last se- season. Now they're third. How did that happen? Well, actually, second. Um, on the ladder, uh, they're still ahead of the Sharkies, even though they lost on the weekend. And to be honest with you, um, the Cowboys have really grown under Todd Payton, who I know <laughs> would disappoint Warriors fans, could have easily been the Warriors coach. Um, and you mentioned Michael Luck there. The influence of a number of ex-Warriors, including Brent Tate on the North Queensland Cowboys, has been um, very, very particular. Also, Kevin Campion, who was also part of the Warriors organisation and um, you know continues to have a role there. I, I just think that North Queensland really has performed this year off the back of their rookies. Unfortunately, Helam Lukey went down with a knee injury earlier this year, but you have a look at this, that, just the way they've come through. Griffin Neen, um, you know, Jeremiah Nanoi. Nanoi in origin this year was spectacular. He came through this year. Obviously, Reuben Cotter, he was a, a hooker who's now, you know, making 40, 50 tackles and no misses um, in the middle of the of the, the, the front row. And I've got to say, this year, this week he has got a tough test, hasn't he? Taking on Adam Fanua Blake. It's, I think it's going to be one of the big battles this this week. Unfortunately, um, Tanoa Brown, who used to play for the Warriors as the 18th man, because I think he would have loved to have taken on his former side, particularly given the last time the Warriors played the Cowboys, it was at Redcliffe, and it was Sean Johnson field goal, which got the Warriors home, and it was a major upset at the time. Um, I wasn't doing that game. I was actually doing the Broncos game following, so I didn't get a chance to get out there. But um, it was just one of those games that could have gone either way. And in the end, the Warriors got that win, one of their few for this year. And, of course, last week, Sean Johnson was outstanding as the Bulldogs. I'm sure Warriors fans are saying, why can't he do that all the time? Mm. But, you know, I, I, I just have a feeling the, the Cowboys at the moment, their defence, that's been the, the, the hallmark of their season, Ricardo. Their defence has been outstanding. And Todd Payton and Dean Young... Um, they have spent a lot of work over the off-season getting that defence right. And unfortunately, in recent weeks, particularly on the weekend against the Roosters, um, in previous weeks against the Bulldogs, um, against the Tigers, it hasn't been that great. Even though they've got wins in those two games, it hasn't been that great. So I can see the Warriors picking holes in the, the Cowboys' defence. And they really desperately need to get this one, the Cowboys, because they've got some big games coming up. They've still got the Rabbitohs and the Panthers to come. So they're not going to be easy clashes against 
you know, one side just below them on the ladder and the, the other one that is above them. Even though, um, you know, they probably, the Panthers will probably still not have their stars. But uh, look, I've got to say, this is a must win for the Cowboys if they want to stay in the top four. There's a real fear that they may even drop out of the top four if they don't win this week. So I know the Warriors will be confident. We saw that Stacey Jones named the same side as last week. I just wonder if Chanel Harris-Savita is going to come in and play. Um, but uh, yeah, it's interesting to, to see Dijon Arcee, former Cowboy, alongside Sean Johnson, who was outstanding last week. I could see them causing some havoc. And the Warriors have gone to Townsville and won before. I wouldn't put it past them. Yeah, although yeah, Sean Johnson, you mentioned, he really wound back the clock, didn't he, in that game against the Dogs? Uh, that that try, particularly towards the end, at, what was it, 75 minutes, and he's doing that, throwing dummies left, right, and centre. That's the, that's the sad thing. I see Sean Johnson. And look, I get that he's coming back from an Achilles. We, we know that it's hard to recover from an Achilles injury. It's one of the toughest ones to come back from. Some people tell me it's harder than an ACL. Having said that, I know he's never been an organiser. And I know that he's, he's never really, um, even though he's been a senior member of the Kiwis, he's been a senior member of the Warriors and the Sharks in the past, I just have a feeling that leadership's not his thing. I know that game, game management's not his thing. But if that's not his thing, he needs to be running the football. And he, he took on tired opposition against the Bulldogs the other, the other night and started to break the line. I just don't understand why he's not doing that from the start. Because the more doubt you put in the defensive mind, the better you're going to go throughout the game. And I just feel like he's still feeling his way. You know, even though um, he's, he's looked okay at certain times this season, it's, maybe he's going to have a great back end of the season and leapfrog into next year and play really well. But... If you're a Warriors fan, you would be disappointed with the output that you've got from the number seven this year. Yeah, I think so. He's got one more year left, um, but there was a lot of talk over here that he might not see it out with the new coaching staff coming in, but apparently they've agreed to to keep him for next year, so that'll be interesting to see what they can do with him given the big changes to the squad for next season. Hey, what we've got you also Friday night, the Broncos and the Storm, probably the uh, game of the round, mate. Mm. Uh, I know you'll be looking closely at that. Uh, the Broncos have, have been a bit rocks and diamonds this season. How, do, you, do you see them making a dent in the playoffs? Well, this is going to be the big test. Um, like I was saying, it's crucial for the Cowboys that they win. I think it's also crucial for the Broncos because um, the Broncos have got some tough matches coming up as well. And look, the Melbourne Storm, I don't know whether you're aware of the record that the Storm have got, but they won their last 11 against Brisbane. And they haven't lost at Lane Park to the Broncos since 2009. 13 years they've come here to Brisbane and continue to win. They are just, they just love it here. I mean, when we had the, the, you know, the years of Billy Slater and Cameron Smith and Cooper Cronk, um, even Felice Cafusi, these guys love playing at Lang Park. It's like their home ground. And so when they come here, they always turn it on. So um, it's interesting that Jerome Hughes has been named. So that's a big in for them. Of course, um, no Ryan Pappenhausen for Melbourne. Can they win the title when they haven't got their star number one? We're going to see Nick Meany and also Cameron Munster, who was outstanding last week. Not only um, you know, just the way that he was setting up tries and playing beautifully, going through the, the edges and um, just testing the Penrith Panthers' defence. And we haven't seen that too much this year. Penrith, apart from Parramatta, haven't really been troubled by side, but where are we? Um, the, the Melbourne Storm, despite the, the loss of a number of players, they really tested them on the edges last week, particularly Nelson Asafa-Solomona. That was amazing seeing the big prop from New Zealand go across and play on the edge and take on Viliami Kikau. That was, that was worth the price of admission, that battle. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they do this week, whether they keep Nelson in the... In the other you know, second, in that second row position, and you know maybe test out a Jordan Ricky, who's you know um, a Maori star um, and played for the uh, 
played for the, the Maori All-Stars this year. He's a young player who we really like here in Brisbane, but I think his defence can be brittle. And, look, the other one is, yeah, how much pressure um, they're going to put on Adam Reynolds because both Adam Reynolds and Kirk Capel are in the, on that other edge. They have leaked a lot of tries this year. As good as Adam Reynolds has been, he's been one of the buyers of the year for the Broncos. That's where most teams have been getting success is going through those two. So just wondering what the Storm are going to come up with. It is a must win for Brisbane. There is no doubt about that. They desperately need to win this one. And um, if they don't, you know, they could risk actually uh, not having any points. They've got themselves a 28, but whether they can get themselves all the way to, uh, you know, to 30, get themselves into that four get themselves to 32, who knows? But, um, you know, I think it's going to be tough if they can't beat Melbourne at home this week. They've got Parramatta the week after. Yes, it's at home. And then they've got the Dragons, which is the real possibility of a victory. But once again, it's away. So it's not going to be easy for the Broncos. It won't be easy, mate. It's going to be a, a great game. And, I, you know, I think it's really what you just said there about Nelson Asafa Solomona as well is just a, a great illustration of what a great coach Craig Bellamy is. You know, he's not quite getting the tune out of his side. He normally would. He's lost Ryan Pappenhausen, as you mentioned. He's finding other ways to win, and he found a way to, you know, to get into the Panthers, a team that have been so hard to beat this year. So, right, Bellamy, off at your peril. Oh, look, he's, just, he's an amazing coach, and that's, that's the other thing. Look, I think the masterstroke has been that mixing between Meany and, and Munster at 5'8 and, and fullback. It's like... Give, give Munster the, the expanse and the opportunity, the freedom at the start of the set. Bring him into the halves and let him try and work off the, the defence and try and test him a bit. And then at the back end of the set, let him sweep and then run back and, and, and get the ball from, from the back of their set. So I think, um, you know, the coaching that he comes up with is revolutionary. And like I said, just it was a masterstroke putting Nelson out there. I know he's got his detractors, particularly with some of the tackles that he's come up with. I think he, um, it might have been Wade Egan that he... That he laid out and um, you know gave gave him a, a fair a, yeah a fair dealing to um, around the mouth region, but um, you want that aggression. You need that aggression if you're the Melbourne Storm, and he can dish it out. And yeah, I had, didn't think he was agile enough to play on the edge, but he did, and just might be a masterstroke for for Melbourne going through the finals. Yeah, you could be right, mate. You could be right. All right, Zane. Hey, listen, thanks very much for coming on, mate. Really appreciate your time. Uh, go well, and we'll catch up with you again soon. Eh? Good luck with your, your call this weekend. Yeah, thanks so much, mate. And can I just say, go Cowboys, go Broncos. Sorry, Warriors fans. <laughs> go for it, mate. Go for it. Uh, there we go. Zane Bojack from ABC Radio there uh, with us with some thoughts on the weekend's game, particularly for those Queensland sides and the Cowboys taking on the Warriors. Both those games are Friday night and uh, looking forward to them. It's going to be another great round of NRL on the way. It is uh, 25 away from 8 o'clock when we come back. Assistant coach of the Tall Blacks, Mike Fitchett, joins us. 21 away from 8 o'clock here on SENZ. Uh, Ricardo Ball with you through until 11 o'clock tonight. Well, I was hoping to talk to Mike Fitchett, the assistant coach of the Tall Blacks and also the uh, head coach of the Nelson Giants, about uh, the games coming up in Japan for the Tall Blacks. He flies out on Thursday, I believe. Uh, this is a team that the Tall Blacks have named for, well, that squad that they've named for that Japan tour. Benjamin Gold out of Marquette University. Carlin Davison from the Taranaki Mountaineers, Dion Prewster uh, out of Melbourne United, Ethan Roosbatch from Hawke's Bay, uh, the Hawks, Flynn Cameron from Riverside, California, Isaac Fotu from uh, Brex, Utsumonia, uh, Jordan Hunt from Hawke's Bay Hawks, Jordan Natai from the Wellington Saints, Nico McCulloch from the uh, Otago Nuggets, uh, Ruben Terangi, from the southeast of Melbourne Phoenix, Sam Dempster from the Nelson Giants. So there's a story. Uh, Shay Illy from Melbourne United and 
Taki Farinson from the Auckland Tuatara. The head coach is Piero Cameron, Ross Main, Zika Coronel and Michael Fitchett are the assistants as well. Uh, so it's a big group that is going over to Japan. These two games against uh, the Japanese will set them up for a couple of games coming up in the World Cup Asian qualifier for FIBA, the FIBA World Cup. They play Saudi Arabia and Damam on the 25th of August and then back here against Jordan on the 29th of August. Uh, that Jordan game is going to be a real test for the Tall Blacks. Uh, they've uh, often been a team that have uh, caused the uh, Tall Blacks uh, problems. But, uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting that we had um, Sam Dempster named uh, from the Nelson Giants. Now, he's a guy who won the Sells NBL Most Improved Player Award after a really good season with the Nelson Giants, but he's 32. So he'll be making his debut at the age of 32, and he, you know, he's pretty much said that he thought his chance had gone, uh, but no. You go, Sam Dempster is in the team, and that is uh, that is great to see. So, hopefully, we can get hold of Mike Fitchett and uh, ask him a few questions about this team and what they're hoping to achieve over in Japan. Uh, now, we were talking earlier about Ian Foster. Uh, he has been returned to the helm of, well, not returned because he never left, but uh, he's been backed by the board basically ahead of the World Cup. So, that's it. No more reviews, apparently. Maybe there should be a review for the board. It's uh, probably another conversation to be had. A deleted text us um, through, and you're more than welcome to text your thoughts through as well on double eight double three, the Temper Bedpost text machine, or you can call us on 0800 150811. Totally agree with your comments regarding the box. Benching a few... Pl- uh, sorry. Totally agree with your comments regarding the box. Benching a few of their starters from last week. Erasmus had to bring his bench on a lot earlier than he anticipated, and that was a telling factor towards the end of the game as they were tiring. Take nothing away from the All Blacks. A great win, but net, let's not get ahead of ourselves. That's from Lee. 100% Lee. I think it's a really good point and one that maybe not enough has been made of. Uh, I think, you know, media... In general, I think fans in general of the All Blacks were just so happy to have a win finally. Uh, they didn't ask too many questions about it, but I, I, I think you're bang on there, Lee, uh, with what you said about uh, the All Blacks and that performance against the Springboks. So you can have your say on that. And Foster being backed by Mark Robinson on 0800 150 811, 0800 150 811, or you can text us on 8833. Uh, text machine. I believe that um, uh, at 17 away from 8 o'clock that we should have Mike Fitchett close to being ready, close to being on the line. Uh, here he is, the Sales NBL Coach of the Year, Mike Fitchett. How are you doing, Mike? I'm very well. I'm not I'm not Mr. Punctual of the Year. I apologise for that. And that's all right, mate. These things happen, mate. Three, what's three minutes between friends? <laughs> oh, I'm not going to touch that. <laughs> <laughs> fair, mate, fair. Now, um, uh, you, of course, a couple of days away from jetting off to Japan to join the uh, Tall Black squad over there. 13-man uh, squad, a bit of a mix, some new faces, uh, some older faces coming back, and a core that obviously uh, were at that FIBA uh, Asia Cup in Jakarta as well. Uh, uh, you know, how much uh, time and uh, thought and conversation went into uh, selecting this team with Piero, Ross and Zico? Yeah, um, a decent amount. Obviously, that Asia Cup group had a really, really good tournament. And there was a bunch of younger, less experienced guys. And and um, so a bunch of them put their hands up. And I know Piero um, really respected what they did over there. Um, but of course, we, as a coaching staff, we're always in con- 
conversations with the guys like Isaac Sosu and Shay Ely and Ruben Sarangi, um, those kind of, excuse me, more veteran uh, tall black guys that have been around the traps for a while. So when those guys put their hand up, obviously we're keen to get them back in the mix as quick as we can. So um, awesome to have those guys involved. Really good to have uh, a bunch of Asia Cup guys and then um, obviously blooding the, the three new names, which is which is always really cool too. Yeah, it was I mean, you mentioned veterans, and you've got a veteran debutant, don't you? And Sam Dempster at 32. <laughs> uh, he's, he's a great story. Yeah, it's, uh, it's awesome. I, I'm so happy for him. You know, I've, I've obviously coached him for the last three or four years, um, but I've known him for a long time. I played with him um, when I was finishing my career, and he was just starting his. And, um, he's had a wonderful season. Um, a big reason the Giants did what they did in the regular season, and um, just stoked for him to... He puts in a massive amount of work, 12 months of the year. The New Zealand League's four months, so, you know, the other eight months he's just training away and working, working, working. And uh, and for him to get the opportunity to have a crack in the in the fullbacks jumper, I'm, I'm really happy for him. Yeah, fantastic, mate. So you've got this 13-man team. You've got a couple of games against Japan and a, and a bit of a prep camp as well. Uh, what are you What are you looking to do against Japan? What What's the point of these two games and what are you trying to achieve with the team? Yeah, it was wonderful that Japanese Federation invited us up. Um, uh, nice to have a, a friends, a wealthy uh, federations as friends to uh, invite us up to Japan and and host us up there on the way over to Saudi. But uh, main focus for this for this part of the camp is to uh, well, like we say about the roster. So we've got you know half the group is is uh, locked into what we've been doing, what we've been trying to put in place. Um, with the Asia Cup and then uh, those veterans and those new guys getting them on the same page. So the, the Japan games, with any kind of friendlies or exhibition games, they uh, will be focusing on ourselves and making sure we get ourselves right. So uh, we won't put quite as much depth and detail into the scouting of Japan and trying to stop what they do. We'll be more focused on trying to refine what we do before we head over to Saudi and, and, and play the game the game there and then the game back in Auckland that, that really matter for World Cup uh, qualification. So uh, awesome to get four or five days at the start of one of these windows because usually you you know you get together on Monday, you train Monday once, maybe a couple of times Tuesday, and then you lighten the load on Wednesday and then play play a game that really matters on Thursday. So to have a four or five day camp up in um, Tokyo is uh, fantastic. Yeah, fantastic is the right word, mate. What what about um, Saudi? Uh, that's the the, the the first competitive game you talked about for the for the qualifying. I mean, stylistically, does did Japan match up with Saudi, or is it not really about that? Are they a different style of basketball? Yeah, well, I'm actually so I'm heading up to join the team in Japan. I I have to wrap up a couple of things down here with the Giants and um, send our imports home and just finish off a few things before I join the team. So I'm flying up to Japan tomorrow and one of my jobs on my uh, you know, twenty hour journey, Odyssey via Honolulu, um, to Tokyo is to really dig into the Saudi team because we, we actually haven't played them before, not not in recent years anyway. So um, Japan how do they compare to Japan? Well I don't know yet, but I do know Japan's an extremely uh, unique style. They shoot a bunch of threes, they play really fast. Um and uh, a bit of a smaller squad, and I know the Saudis just on a personnel level have got a, a few bigger, a few bigger guys. Um, so it will be a little bit different um, going from one team to the other, but uh, it's certainly a bit of a learning experience for us. You know, we we had uh, Syria, Lebanon, and Jordan in our last last time we crossed over with the Western Asian teams, and and this time we get Saudi rather than um, Syria. So 
it'll be it'll be a good challenge. It'll be cool to go up against some new guys and, and uh, learn some things. Will Jordan be the bigger of the two threats? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, based on Asia Cup performance, world rankings, and all those things, uh, Jordan's a, a step above Saudi. Um, Saudi, I think they were zero and three in the Asia Cup and dipped out after pool play. They did actually. Uh, to be fair to them, they they pushed Australia. You know, Aussie ran through that tournament reasonably comfortably, um, but Saudi were one of the closer teams in pool play to them. So they've got some talent, um, but they didn't manage to get a win at that tournament. So Jordan, um, of course, we beat them in the third fourth playoff at the tournament. Um, so they're 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 a quality side. They've got you know a Euro League player. They've got a very very good naturalised American, and then a bunch of very good uh, Jordanian guys that are play in their, in their local league that are very, very handy. Yeah, I mean, the 13 that you're taking to Japan, how different uh, will the team look to play um, uh, in in the World Cup if we if we make it, do you think? How many players are there out there to come in that you think could come in? Um, oh, there's a bunch. There's a bunch at the moment. We, we're we blessed with a lot of depth. Um, we're blessed with a lot of depth, and that probably is a... just goes back to the work poorly... Paulie did before Piero, and Piero's continued to do since he's taken over, and and that's to use these windows to bring in a bunch of guys. So, um, yeah, there's plenty of guys around. You know, guys like Finn Delaney and, and the Webster brothers um, that aren't on tour with us here. Rob Rob Lowe, um, guys like that, which will they'll put a, they'll put their hands up. I hope for uh, for World Cup, but um, yeah, it's interesting. You know, every time we have one of these windows and guys aren't at the windows, it's, a, it's an opportunity for someone else to, to say, hey, I belong here. So we've got so much talent, it's, uh, it's almost risky business not coming along for one of these things. Yeah, indeed, indeed. All right, mate, well, listen, uh, good luck. Uh, safe travels. Uh, don't work on too much of a tan in Honolulu. Pero will be wise. Um, <laughs> but um, go well, mate, and good luck for the games up there, eh? Yeah, I don't think I'll be using my two hours in transit to get out to the beach, unfortunately. I, would, I wouldn't mind. I've never been to Hawaii, so hopefully I'll see a palm tree. Yeah, fingers crossed, mate. Fingers crossed. Safe travels, eh? <laughs> Beautiful. Thanks, guys. Cheers, mate. There we go. Mike Fitchett with us, uh, the Sales NBL Coach of the Year, of course, head coach of the Nelson Giants and part of the coaching setup too with the Tall Blacks. They head off to Japan. Uh, Mike is off there, as you heard, tomorrow. It is 10 away from 8 o'clock. It's five away from eight here on SCNZ. And, of course, yeah, you can tune in tomorrow morning for live cricket coverage as the Black Caps take on the West Indies in the first of three ODIs against the Windies in Barbados. Actually, you've just had an email come through confirming New Zealand cricket's uh, schedule for the Future Tours program. Uh, coming up, um, as part of the World Test Championship, New Zealand are going to play Australia, England and South Africa at home between 2023 and 2027 and Bangladesh, India and Sri Lanka as well. They're uh, away, so uh, going to be uh, doing a bit on the subcontinent, as it were, so uh, that's good. And then they've got to play uh, Aussie, England and Pakistan on away tours as well a little bit later on. So uh, all those fixtures coming up, plus a whole bunch of T20 fixtures as well. Looks like New Zealand cricket is going to be busy right through till 2027. It's just gone 8 o'clock here on SCNZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock tonight. And uh, welcome to the show. A man whose uh, voice you'll probably recognise if you uh, tuned in last season for all the Heartland Rugby chat. It is Kevin here from rugbyheartland.co.nz. G'day, mate. How are you? Good evening and Happy New Year. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it's a... Uh, 
It's the first time I've been uh, wished a happy new year in August, but I appreciate the sentiment, Kevin. Hey, um, we've got another uh, Heartland Championship, of course, about to kick off this weekend. And uh, a couple of things I wanted to check up with you on, because, of course, we had a bit of a, a funny old season last season due to COVID and things being shortened, et cetera, et cetera. Last season, they uh, they, they introduced uh, the Bill Osborne Tonga and, um, as a third trophy. Is that Was that just for last season, or is that going to carry on this season? No, that's going to carry on forever. Um, current holders are Poverty Bay, and um, they will uh, it will be based on the, the same principles as the Ramfordy Shield. The holder gets the defender at home, so uh, in the first round they play away, and uh, they will defend it on home turf against Wairapa Bush um, in round two. Fantastic, great initiative. Uh, I wasn't sure if it was just something that they had introduced for a cut-down year, uh, but I think it's a great idea. And, of course, the other thing that we've got this year for the first time is the Ian Kirkpatrick medal as well. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, um, and it's mainly because I'm guessing the... Um, with, with the also the the awesomeness of it being uh, live on the telly, um, that uh, you know people can get to see these guys uh, perform, um, you know, on the main stage as they say, and uh, it'll be great great for them to actually be able to to uh, be rewarded for that. Yeah, I mean, you've been able to watch Heartland games a lot thanks to your website and the, and the network that you've created with RugbyHeartland.co.nz, but. It is also fantastic to see that there's some resources being put into it now by uh, by Sky, and uh, we're going to see some of these games on on the Sky platform more more than we've ever seen before. Oh, 100 percent. They they were going to have one game a week, but um, I, I see that uh, for this weekend we've actually got two games on. We've got one game on Saturday, and of course the game at 7:05 on Sunday night. I'm still scratching my head around that uh, date. But, um, yeah, so we've got uh, South Canterbury uh, playing uh, Ken Valley Swamp Foxes at 2.30 from Tamuka Debane, and that's going to be live on Sky and Prime. And then on Sunday evening, after the, I think it's Manor 2 Hawks Bay game, uh, at Palmerston, we've got Wairapa Bush uh, hosting North Otago at um, 7.05 kickoff. Yeah, that's an interesting one, isn't it? That'll be, uh, oh, mate, I'll tell you what, it'll be absolutely buzzing in the bush. Uh, they'll be uh, they'll be loving it, mate. Um, now, we, we should uh, go through and, and, and check these teams out. Um, I, yep. I guess we should start with uh, South Canterbury. I mean, the, the, the reigning Meads Cup champions, um, was it 16 straight? Uh, victories against Heartland opposition. Uh, they've been mm-hmm. they've been in fantastic form for for so long. Is there? I mean, we're usually having this conversation about Wanganui. Can anybody beat the Butcher Boys? But now we're having the conversation about South Canterbury. Uh, certainly, and um, I had the privilege of going down and and, and meeting with the, with the team before the Ramfordy Shield this year, and. Uh, having a good chat with Nigel Walsh and that and literally, I mean, they've only had a couple of changes from last season so there is absolutely no reason why they can't continue their merry way uh, in Heartland. Um, the guys, have, they've been training since December. They were getting ready for the Ramfordy Shield. They put up a great battle against Hawke's Bay and um, so, yeah, it's sort of, they are definitely going to be at the at the end of the comp. They're going to be there, thereabouts. Yeah, they will be. Now, you, you, you think, I don't know who's done this draw, but I, I, it's, it's great to see, you know, them playing Thames Valley first game of this season because, of course, they were pretty much the two top teams all through last season. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, even the other game, West Coast Wanganui, is going to be a battle royal as well. And, 
And, um, I mean, everything is pointing to an awesome um, opening round because um, literally, I mean, sure, you can drop that first game like in any competition. I mean, look at the way Liverpool's going at the moment. Um, But... um, uh, uh, it's great. I mean, there's going to be some teams near the bottom, like Man United at the moment. You'll be going what? Um, but and it will just make the whole competition a lot uh, better. Um, uh, uh, my boys from the East Coast, um, you know, they haven't won round one since 2013, and the last time they did that, they beat Horrifanua Kapiti by 25 to 24. So they're hoping history repeats on Saturday at uh, Ruatoria. Yeah. Well. All right. Well. Let's. Uh, let, let's just. You, you mentioned South Canterbury um, at the top there. Uh, they haven't had many changes. For you, where where are they? Uh, maybe susceptible. I mean, you know, you talked about they haven't had many changes. They obviously won the whole thing last year. They gave they gave Hawks Bay a hurry up in that Shield challenge too, just quietly. Um, so I mean, do you mm-hmm. think anybody's going to get near them this season? And if so, where? Well, I, I think, if anything, um, I mean, their the back line is, uh, uh, they've got a, um, they're very heavy in the forwards. Um, but, uh, I mean, they've got the uh, young South African guy, in, uh, Etienne Van Seel. Um, he, he's, been, he's been going real. Nick Strawn is still leading from the front. Um, they are just, they're, they're strong all over the, uh, over the field, really, backs and forwards. So, um when they go down, they're going to go down fighting and it's going to be very close. Let's just say that as we move forward. All right. Okay, let's let's go with that. All right, so South Canterbury nailed on favourites then for you? Um, let's say three to one. Yeah. Three to one. Okay, what about Thames Valley then? Their, their opponents uh, mm-hmm. in, the, in the opening game and their opponents in the final last year. Uh, what have they done, Thames mm-hmm. Valley? And, and, and do you think that they'll be there or thereabouts again? Um, I don't think they'll be thereabouts again, mainly because of the uh, they've got they've um, had a few people you know hang up their boots and uh, and such. What's going to get them through this year is it's their centenary, and um, but they do they've um, they've uh, recruited pretty much locally um, with and um, they've also got a young guy called Dwayne Sweeney um, playing in the backs there at centre for them as well, which is going to bring a bit of experience to the pack. Yeah, that is. Uh, that is fantastic. It's great to see him running around uh, still. So, uh, Team South Canterbury looking good. What about Wanganui then? I mentioned the Butcher Boys. Uh, they're perennial mm-hmm. challengers, uh, but they've probably dis- disappointed the last couple of seasons. They'll be disappointed with themselves. Uh, will they be back stronger this season? Do you think it's between them and South Canterbury? No. No? Okay. Um, Wanganui, Wanganui will be there. Um, I mean, uh, the thing is, uh, you know, they were really disappointed in the um, for not making the Meads Cup final last year. They are the Lahore Cup champions, um, mainly because we didn't get the opportunity to see the um, oh, what was the word I'm looking for there? The um, the semi-finals, uh, the top four semi-finals. And um, but uh, they are looking good. They they uh, came off uh, a defeat over the weekend to the Wellington Centurions, but uh, they had an awesome uh, battle uh, earlier on the week before against Hawks Bay Saracens, and uh, they will definitely be uh, one of the top two. All right, so they you're picking them to be there, well there or thereabouts. It's going to be them and South Canterbury by the sounds of things, uh, the way you're seeing it. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Uh, well, what about what about North Otago then? Because they probably punched a bit above their yep. weight last year, didn't they? 
They did, and um, the, the only reason I think they, they may be uh, missing an action this year is that they have got 15 deputants on the bench this year uh, to, to pick from. Uh, they are completely rebuilding. They, they had a good win uh, over the weekend against Otago Country. Uh, I think it was 38-17 or something like that. Um, but, yeah, I just think there's going to be the experience uh, is going to show through, um, and the, they they'll be a team to look at next year. Okay, the one one to keep an eye on, and we might see a couple of bolters out of that team. Then some new faces. Uh, Poverty mm-hmm. Bay, you mentioned earlier, they uh, they play King Country away first round, but uh, they also hold the uh, the Bill Osborne Tonga, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, what have what have the Bay yep. done in the off season? How are they looking? They're looking actually. They've come across. Um, Quietly, uh, they they um, I was sort of sitting back watching what they were doing. They they weren't really doing much, I suppose you could say. And then um, they surprised me last weekend with a victory over Hawke's Bay Saracens. And now any victory over them is a big is a big win. Um, so um, they will definitely be there for the Hawke Cup. Yeah. Okay. So you think they'll be battling for that? Uh, and and Mid Canterbury, who traditionally are yep. reasonably strong as well. They fell away a bit last season, but uh, and you know it must hurt them to see South Canterbury, their, their big rivals, uh, Southern rivals, doing so well. Uh, how are, how are Mid Canterbury looking this season? I mean, I, I, I assume they're a uh, they're a, a province that can borrow a little bit from uh, from the big boys just up the road. Canterbury, they might have a couple of players on loan. How are they looking? Yeah, uh, they've got some chap called uh, Nasi Manu oh, uh, yeah. in their squad this year. Um, yeah, Nacho Man is uh, is back on the field of first class rugby. So um, this is my bolter for for a top four, um, and I think that they will uh, surprise many. Um, they've, I mean, they've been in the wilderness the last couple of years. You know, this is traditionally a team that you would go, mm, yeah, I've put some money on them. I think uh, a few dollars on them this year will uh, will definitely show a return. Okay, all right. So they're, they're definitely one to watch. I was just having a look. We don't seem to have um, any markets up at the TAB just yet. No, we've got NPC. Not yet, no. We've got NPC, but we haven't got any Heartland uh, stuff. Oh, no, actually we do. We do. I just had to oh, we do? find it. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's hidden under New Zealand for some reason rather than just popping up. Um, so they've oh, got. It. Why I haven't found it myself. Yeah, well, <laughs> looks like they might just be building it, mate. They've got Buller Mid Canterbury, but it's all greyed out. Um, but they've got Buller paying thirteens, Mid Canterbury paying a dollar one. And uh, okay, and they've uh, got King Country Poverty Bay, King Country three eighty, Poverty Bay one twenty seven. But again, all greyed out at the moment, so you can't actually bid on it just yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I'm 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 having major. PC issues here today, so I'm having to just go through bookmarks to try and find what I'm looking for. So um, under New Zealand, you say, hang on, yeah. let me bring that up so we can be on the same page. So rugby uh, and then New Zealand, there you there go. go, and then you click yeah. on that and they've got the Options. outrights as well. Yeah. Okay. So, it's so um, I'm just having a quick look here, and uh, I see some really good money about Midway. Yeah. There we go. You go about Midway as in Mid Canterbury at nine dollars to win the whole thing. No, below that. Oh, yeah. Well, you're looking at West Coast at tens or twelve dollars at at Horofanua Kapiti, or are you looking at the Bay? No, West Coast. That's the only, pretty much the only team I haven't mentioned yet. Hmm. They, yeah. I had a pencil under them going into the season, uh, into the pre-season. They had a great victory over Nelson Bays, and then uh, picked up a. Uh, a 
really in bad conditions, but they could have won by more. Uh, victory over Marlborough to win the Seven Shield. Uh, first time they've held it since 2013-14. Uh, um, but the big one is it's the first time since 1980. That's, what, 40-odd years they've be beaten both Nelson and Marlborough in the same season. So um, they've recruited well, um, and to me, they are my pick to win the Leeds Cup this year. Okay, all right, West Coast. All right, well, there you go, paying $10 in the outright championship. Uh, let's just go through quickly there. South Canterbury, we've talked about a, a, a 250 uh, Whanganui, 325. Tim's Valley, 7s. North Otago, 8s. Mid-Canterbury, 9s. And then West Coast at $10. When we come back on SENZ Extra Time, Kevin's going to stay there, and we're going to go through the rest of the teams and get some more predictions. With us is Kevin here from rugbyheartland.co.nz talking about the uh, Heartland competition kicking off this weekend. Now, we've... Uh, we've been through uh, half a dozen or so teams, or probably seven now, actually. Uh, so let's uh, wrap the, th- the rest and then see where they sit for you, Kevin. Hot uh, or Carpenty, mm-hmm. um, a team that have yeah. often, uh, you know, bothered say Wanganui, their near neighbours and things. Where do you think they are at this season? Yeah, um, they're, they're in for a big year. I mean, um, their, their whole team has got a, a good solidness about it as well. Um, their mercurial captain Ryan Shelford plays his 100th game for Horofanua this weekend, so uh, they will be um, really uh, hunting the pool, I suppose you could say, when they go up to uh, East Coast. Um, but I've got a horrible feeling East Coast are going to spoil the party there. But mm. um, definitely Horofanua for me will be uh, will be doing a Man United and coming from behind. But uh, I think they will uh, miss a couple of games and uh, end up in the Hawke Cup. Okay, all right. And what about Nāti East Coast? Because you mentioned them. They host mm. Horofinoa Kapiti first game. Um, are they likely to have Ma Nonu on a horse leading them, leading the way for them this season at all? Uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> he did look, he did look um, fantastic the- last year when he rode in, though. That was superb. Uh, I tell you, it was great, and I've got a friend in San Diego who uh, who's um, a, a huge fan of his, and and she's just, you know, she's become uh, in America now. East Coast has got a huge following. Um, I mean, this is still the, the the number one followed team on social media. Um, they have recruited well. Jose Gear is back again as coach. Um, they've got Joe Royal from uh, Northern uh, playing for them this year. Um, and Joe Wadman is also another lone player. Jo- Josh Coffin, the uh, um, from King Country, he he's in the squad. Um, they've got a, a very uh, nice look about them. One player to keep an eye on, and he performed really well in the Queen's Birthday game with Shaden Stevens, a young Kiwi lad who uh, Jose apparently found playing rugby league in in Brisbane. Um, in the lower grades, but he brought him back and he's got some uh, speed on out there on the wing. Um, so, yeah, uh, East Coast, I think, will uh, do the same as last year, pick up two or three wins and some of them might surprise. Okay. Well, but be... they will, um, yeah, I think they will still, though, just be outside the Hawke Cup, unfortunately. Just outside, all right. What about the uh, the legendary Whited Upper Bush? Uh, they, of course, host that Sunday evening game uh, at 7 o'clock, uh, which I think is a first, mm-hmm. isn't it, for Heartland against North Otago? How, how are the Bush going to go this year? Uh, 
they will definitely be chasing their namesake trophy, the I believe the um, Lahore Cup. Uh, they will, I think they'll scrape in. Uh, I, I actually had the privilege of being in the dugout last Saturday when they played the Wellington Samoan team in Petoni. Uh, it was really heavy going, but they definitely played well. And um, and uh, the, the, again, uh, a legend of uh, Wairapa Bush, James Goodger. Um, I said, I thought you took up the whistle, pal. And he goes, oh, nah, I looked at how old I'm getting. I've only got a few games left. So James Goodger's back uh, in the locks there, uh, captaining the side. Um, and the imports, that again, gone very local. Uh, they've only got a couple of imports. Uh, ben Brooking from Petoni, uh, fullback James Coburn from the Wellington Axemen, and uh, Tafa Tafa from Upper Hutt, but he played for them last year anyway, so it doesn't really count. Um, but Wairapa Bush, I think, um, will do the business. Um, they can only get better from where they were last year. Last year was very disappointing, and I'm sure that Mark Rutney is... Uh, it's got them uh, firing on all guns heading into this weekend. Yeah, all right. And uh, what about Buller? Uh, of course, they'll, they'll, they'll be... I mean, you're, you're talking up West Coast. What about their near neighbours? Buller, my boys. Uh, <laughs> how can I put this? Yes. Um, the, the the only problem I have with Buller is maybe the depth and, and some of the travel. Uh, they are... They are going to be there, thereabouts, but unfortunately I think they will miss out and they will be in that bottom four. I know I'm going to get shot now from those in Buller that are listening to this. Um, but um, they do have a young guy called James Lash uh, as assistant coach this year, yeah. along with the new coach, Nathan Thompson. Um, and let's just say James Lash also pulled on the boots during the Seven Cup uh, pre-season. So... Are uh, we going to see the return of Mr. Lash? Yeah. Um, so, um, and they're overseas. Uh, they've got an overseas player in Greg Foe, the Samoan uh, from Paniki. Um, he's been playing over in Sydney and um, for, on the flank. So he he's there. Um, they've got a good team, and um, and if anyone was going to provide that upset, I think it will be Buller this year. Will be the sort of the team that bolts out of the blue. Okay, uh, and that leaves us with one, that leaves us as one, and that is, of course, King Country, and, uh, I Mm -hmm. mean, you you mentioned uh, Wider Upper Bush maybe bothering their their namesake trophy in the Lahore. Uh, I'm picking there's not much chance that King Country will be doing that with the Meads. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, they they went down to Taranaki Maori last weekend, 48 to 45. Um, They were sort of touched up. Not bad, but even still a high-scoring game, um, which doesn't say much for the defence. Uh, they had a uh, pre-season against North Otago and Taupo two weeks ago um, and went down in that one 26-24, but that was also a very late try to the uh, King Country Rams. Um, they are celebrating their centenary. They have got a lot to play for. Uh, they've doled up um, the uh, rugby park at Tikawiti with lots of uh, Meads um, memorabilia around the around the grounds. Um, uh, yeah, but I just yeah, I, I think they're definitely in a rebuilding phase and will be in bottom four. Okay, all right. So there we go. Uh, I do notice on your website rugbyheartland.co.nz. You haven't alphabetized the teams. Uh, they are in a certain order. Is that the order they finished in last year, or are you sort of doing a, a, a sly prediction there? 
I really don't know what you're talking about. Oh, well, um, it's the 2022 uh, Heartland, actually... the 2022 Heartland Championship table. You've got the one to twelve. You've got South Canterbury, Thames Valley, Whanganui, North Otago, Poverty Bay, Mid Canterbury, Horafanua, Kapiti, Nati East Coast, West Coast, Wairarapa Bush, Buller, and King Country. Uh, I would have figured you maybe. Oh yeah, no, you... there was no. Oh, yes, I hear what you're saying now. Yeah, yeah no, um, I, I just loaded that up. No, um, there was no pre-prediction there. Um, definitely, um, I, I'll have to go and update that now after this call, um, and then and then people can understand where I'm at. Um, or am I just trying to get the odds pushed out for West Coast? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> All right. Okay, now, let, now let's get some predictions from you. Um now you've 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 tipped Meads Cup. You've tipped West Coast as the upset. Yes. And they are, they are paying ten dollars. What about uh, the Lahore Cup? Then who do you think is going to take that? <sighs> I, I'm I'm going to have to lean to the Swamp Foxes. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, no disrespect to Horrifnoa, Poverty Bay, and Wairapa Bush. I just think, um, you know, they've got that finals footy uh, mentality from the last couple of seasons, um, and I think it might be a, just a, a, that game too far for the other three. So um, I'd probably lean towards Thames Valley for the Lahore Cup. OK, coming to uh, to Thames Valley there for the Lahore Cup. Um, I think we should ask you too and i know this might be a, a bit of a tough ask there's a lot of players a lot of new players as you mentioned a few of the teams but have you got an uh, an early favorite for the uh, ian kirkpatrick medal oh that is a good question um if i was going to be leaning to anyone in particular i think it would go to a player from the west coast mm -hmm. and i think it will be Elliot Smith. Elliot Smith from the West Coast. Okay. What position does yeah. Elliot Captain Smith play? West Coast. Uh, he's a centre. He's a centre. Okay. So, and, yeah. uh, and and he's also the captain for the season as okay. well. Okay. All right. Well, that's uh, that that's, that is a is a great pick uh, that you've pulled out there because of course um, you've you've invested in West Coast heavily. I'm wondering how much they've invested in you, uh, Kevin. I mean, to, to to talk them up this much. What's going on? Um, I do work for them, um, <laughs> but I also work for several other unions. But um, no, it's just um, they were there thereabouts a couple of seasons ago. They missed out last year. Uh, just um, they, you know, they, they they went down to South Canterbury in the Lahore Cup final um, in atrocious conditions, um, and we picked that uh, final um, ourselves earlier on in the piece. Um, and I just think they are re rearing to go. Um, John Sturgeon Park has had a lot of investment in the ground, um, which also um, all their home games this year are free to the public. So get along and, and support the red and white. Um, their sponsors are paying the gate fee. and um, But they've just invested a lot uh, in updating the uh, ground and it's the best piece of carpet on the West Coast. Perfect. All right, good stuff, Kevin. Thanks very much for coming on and giving us your thoughts. I really appreciate it. Go well, and uh, we'll uh, touch base with you throughout the season, eh? Yeah, sure do, and uh, and thanks for having us on. And get out there and support Heartland Rugby and show what real New Zealand rugby is about. There you go. Uh, Kevin here with us from uh, rugbyheartland.co.nz. Uh, that website has everything on it that you need to know.
about Heartland Rugby. Just looking at the TAB odds there for the outright winner. So the favourites at the TAB are South Canterbury at 250, who are the defending champions. Wanganui, 325. Thames Valley, who were finalists last year, sevens. North Otago, eight. Mid Canterbury, nine. West Coast, 10, which is Kevin's pick he was talking about. And then we go down to Horofanua Kapiti at 12s, Poverty Bay 18s, Wired Up a Bush 31, Nazi Poroe East Coast 36, Buller 51, and King Country 51 as well. It's coming up up our state here on SENZ Extra Time. When we come back, we're going to be talking football in the Wellington Phoenix. It's 26 away from uh, 9 o'clock here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock tonight. There is a game of. Uh, football involving the Wellington Phoenix kicking off in about an hour's time and uh, Jordan Canelis uh, from uh, Australia who is an A-League football commentator joins us to talk about this of course uh, we're in the, the last 16 here of the uh, the really new named Australia Cup and um, two of the uh, bigger clubs, so the A-League clubs left in the in the draw are thrown together in Melbourne City and the Wellington Phoenix. Uh, good evening Jordan you're looking forward to this one? Evening, Ricardo. I am. I'm looking forward to all the games tonight. It's always a uh, always a great time of the year when you've got this uh, this big chunk of games in the Australia Cup. You get to see the A League teams. You get to see the, the the second and third division teams in some cases. So it's a, it's a great time to be a football fan. If you're a football enthusiast, it's a, a great time for uh, for those uh, that uh, portion of the. Uh, Sporting landscape. Yeah, well, and we've had a few upsets, haven't we, in, in the uh, in the cup already? Um, I noticed that uh, Sydney uh, United, uh, one of the old NSL teams, had a, had a big win. They did, yeah, on uh, on penalty shootouts as well the other night against Western United. So the uh, the A League champions were knocked out by one of the traditionally stronger teams in the uh, in now the second division. But Sydney United had a great. Uh, history back in the old NSL pre A League, so um, it was uh, the old boys getting back at the at the new boys in a way. So they had a uh, a big win the other night, and um, Bentley Greens the other night uh, didn't get the win against Sydney FC, but definitely performed well against them too. So hopefully there's a couple of more uh, cup sets as they call them tonight on the way. Yeah, a couple of cup sets indeed. Well, do you think there might be a cup set tonight? I see the Wellington Phoenix over here at the uh, at the TAB are paying six dollars fifty to win this game. And, uh, I mean, they, they beat Melbourne City in the Cup last year. They did. You know what? I don't mind I don't mind Wellington Phoenix and what they're doing this season. Just seeing a couple of the names they've brought in. Uh, Kaya from Bulgaria a few weeks ago. And then the, the recent one is Jan Sarsay, I think you pronounce his name, from Brazil. These are guys who are coming over from, from you know, reputable clubs. They're a good age as well. So, um, Ufuk Tale is certainly uh, stocking up in his attacking midfield um, department and look, Melbourne City will go in as favourites. They are obviously one of the uh, you know the, the champion from the A League two years ago. Made the grand final last season, and they've got an established squad. So that's always going to help them. Um, whereas Wellington Phoenix have done a bit more moving and shaking in the transfer window than, than City have. But uh, Talley is a great manager. The squad is a good. It's a good squad. It's certainly one that that's uh, exceeded a lot of our expectations here on this side of the ditch. So I don't think you can underestimate the Phoenix whatsoever in tonight's game. It's a, it's a decent side Melbourne City have put out, actually. I've just, uh, I've just having a look. I mean, they've got the front line of Naboo, Leckie and McLaren out there. Uh, Jamison, Good, uh, Talbot, uh, Reese uh, are in there as well at the back. Uh, Glover's in goal. Uh, it's a, probably a stronger team than we saw in the round of 32. Yeah, I haven't, I'm just in the car at the moment on the way to uh, one of the games, so I haven't seen the team sheets come through. But by the sounds of that, yeah, that's that's pretty much the majority of what would be their starting eleven in most circumstances. Callum Talbot, there's a, a new 
fullback that they brought over, and he's he's apparently very very good too. Played a couple of games for Sydney FC. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that is that's a pretty strong squad for a round of 16. You know, even at this stage, some teams, uh, some of the A League teams will um, will put out a you know a half team, but that's actually pretty strong sounding. Yeah, yeah, it looks pretty good. Yeah, Jamison's captain, uh, Gom Gomolka, uh, Berengua, and uh, Tilio make up the midfield uh, for Melbourne. Uh, the the Phoenix have put out a pretty strong side as well. Uh, looking forward to seeing this game get underway in about an hour's time, but. Uh, in terms of the FFA Cup, or as it's now known, the Australia Cup, um, how are the A-League teams approaching it? Because it seems like these two are, are taking it reasonably seriously. Have all the teams taken it this seriously, or are a few treating it as an opportunity to try things? Uh, they definitely take it as an opportunity to try things. Being in the middle of their off-season or their pre-season, they'll use this as, uh, as, time, as a time to test things out. Plus, the A-League season doesn't start for a while yet it's going to be what another two months away I think we are at, at this stage so it's still a bit of an experimental phase um, uh, maybe for the players and there's not that many but for the players who would be looking for uh, a berth at the World Cup for the Socceroos they'd definitely be taking this as a good opportunity to keep themselves match fit um, we've seen a lot of uh, potential Socceroos go overseas there's been a lot of players go to Scotland but for those who have stayed here in Australia they'll need as much game time as they can for a big lead-in because they won't get too many games in the A-League. There's only, I think, five or six weeks um, in the A-League before the World Cup begins. So for those players in particular, so the likes of Matthew Leckie tonight and Jamie McLaren as well, they'll be taking every opportunity they can to be match fit, to stay match fit uh, for a, a World Cup selection. Yeah, I was actually going to say to you, uh, I was going to bring it up, but I might as well bring it up now, is the... Uh the amount of Australians playing in in the SPL at the moment is crazy. There's uh, there's there's so many, and I, I noticed uh, Dundee United with Birrigiddy, um uh, haven't been going quite so good. I think they've they've shipped eleven goals in their last two games, so uh, a bit of work to be done there. We don't want to see a repeat of the old Michael Theo uh, export, do we? No, that's right. Yeah, where was I think it was Ipswich he went to Michael Theo and and uh, and conceded a bag of goals on his debut, and, and Mark Birrigiddy. Uh, there was a it was a Europa League game, a Europa Conference League game the other day. I forget the opposition, but yeah, they uh, conceded uh, conceded seven goals. Might have been Az from uh, from the Netherlands. Um, and yeah, but there's been a lot of yeah a lot of Socceroos in Scotland. I reckon there's about there's almost one at every team, just about or, or maybe you know nine teams, which is the majority of the league. So there's a, a big um, there's been a big exodus to, to Scotland, but um, but I think that's all very um, very sort of planned and calculated and, and well done as well for those players to, to get over to Europe. Um, but also that would help them give them as good an opportunity as they can to, uh, to get match fit in a, in a decent league uh, for the World Cup. Yeah, well, Bayich is, of course, uh, just signed up there too at, at Dundee United. Mate, I'll just uh, I'll go through the, the the squad for you for the Phoenix tonight at the starting 11, at least. Uh, Ollie Sale in goal, Callan Elliott, Sam Sutton, the fullbacks, Josh Laws, Scott Wooten at centre-back, uh, midfield of, of Clayton Lewis and Nicholas Pennington with Ben Old and uh, Boz Darkrayev behind the front two of Ben Wayne and Costa Barbarossa. So pretty strong 11 from from them as well. Are you as surprised as I am that Ollie Sale is still at the Phoenix? Um, yeah, you know what? To be honest, that's that's a good call. Yeah, he, he's definitely one who could who could get a gig overseas. His his rise uh, in between the posts at the Phoenix in the last what two or three years now, he's elevated himself to be one of the best keepers in the A League. So um, I don't know. I guess you're you're closer to the situation than than I am. But I would say yeah, for his quality, I mean, he's I, I would say in the top maybe 
three or four goalkeepers in the A League, and that should that should be good enough to get get you a gig somewhere else. Yeah, well, I was going to say with Billy Gitty going, he probably is. I would have said he's probably the best keeper in the A League after what we saw last season. But yeah, it's interesting. So two big teams going head to head. I mean, are you brave enough to call it, mate? Because this 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 looks like pretty. It could be pretty close on paper. Uh, I hope it is. I hope it is. And that, that Phoenix team is pretty strong. Um, there's there's not many players off the top of my head that that would uh, push out any of those players in. Maybe someone like Ben Old in the, in the run of the, uh, the the league season might be someone who comes off the bench. But even in the games I saw him last season, he was actually pretty decent. So, uh, look, I'll, I'll, the safe bet is Melbourne City. So if I want to play it safe, I'll say Melbourne City. Um, but, you know, what? I, I love an upset and I, I have a fond... Um, a place in my heart for the Phoenix, so I'll be I'll be going for the Phoenix tonight. Uh, which which game are you commentating tonight? No, I'm not commentating. I'm just going as a fan tonight to see Oakley against Brisbane City. So I'm making the drive down. It's about a thirty to forty minute trip from my place down to Oakley, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, the Oakley Cannons taking on Brisbane City. Short favourites over here, a dollar twenty-two. Brisbane City are eight bucks. They were seven last night. So uh, something something's happened. Uh, what's what's the oil on the on the Oakley Cannons? The Oakley Cannons have been dominant in the uh, NPL Victoria this season, so that's that's uh, that'd be a massive reason why they're in the top two, I think, on the ladder from last I checked. But it's been them and South Melbourne in the Victorian League who have been dominating things. So uh, a lot of people are sort of predicting a South Melbourne Oakley Cannons grand final in Victoria in a couple of weeks. So yeah, Oakley are the strong team, and um, and I haven't seen much of Brisbane City. I won't lie, because they're up in the up in Queensland, up in the other end of Australia, but. But Oakley, I know, are really, really good. Yeah, and we've also got uh, Brisbane Raw take on Avondale Heights uh, tonight as well. Where, where's Avondale Heights? Avondale is in, uh, it's probably, what would I say, it's sort of northern outer suburbs of Melbourne. So um, they're within Melbourne. It's a suburb of Melbourne. Right. Um, but they are, as a team in the NPL Victoria competition, they've been one of the better teams in the last three or four seasons. They are a club that's had a, a good backing They've had a lot of uh, decent players from the A-League who have come down to play in their squad in the last couple of seasons. This season in particular hasn't been as strong for them, but they are still in the uh, in the top five or six teams on the table. So, um, And playing up at Broad Meadows, they, it's, a, it's a very windy, uh, cold venue up there, so maybe the, uh, the Brisbane Raw players might not be so acclimatised to those conditions, being from the sunny state. But uh, Avondale, I'd say that, that could actually be... That might be your best chance tonight for a second division team to beat a, uh, a first-tier team. Yeah, they're paying five fifty uh, versus dollar forty-four, and that one the draw at four fifty. And they got uh, Adelaide City take on Adelaide United, the uh, the derby of the City of Churches. United short favourites at a dollar fifty-seven. Adelaide City paying four eighty, and the draw at four bucks. Uh, yeah, Adelaide City, another old team from uh, from NSL days. So aside from uh, the old competition, a former glory team, they were one of the uh, the great teams of the old generation of Australian football. And Adelaide United, I'm curious to see how they go this season. Uh, they made finals last season in the A League, uh, and they've brought back a couple of uh, a couple of decent names. Ben Halloran comes back into the team. Not sure if he's in the starting eleven tonight, but he's one of the uh, one of the, the very good players. Uh, from the A League, and uh, might even be half a shout for as a bolster for the Socceroos team. But uh, yeah, I'd be tipping the uh, the Reds in that game tonight. Yeah, Adelaide United, indeed. Actually, while you're talking uh, Victorian NPL teams, what are the Melbourne Knights doing these days? Melbourne Knights are floating around. They've had a couple of lean seasons. They've, uh, they've, they've well, back when I was covering the league more extensively, they were sort of mid-table to, to lower ends of the table. A couple of years ago, they've had some good years of late, but uh, but this season hasn't been 
as dominant, but I think they might still. I think they are in the running for the finals at the moment, but uh, they've had financial issues in the last couple of years. But I think they, they're getting back on their feet now and being more competitive. Yeah, they've, they haven't got Mark, Mark Viduk is not bankrolling them. Uh, I'm not sure. I think Mark Viduk is still uh, running a coffee shop over in Croatia somewhere. So <laughs> I know he comes, he, he flies in and out of Australia very quietly, Mark Viduk. He keeps a low profile, but maybe he's got some, uh, I think he might have interest in Melbourne Knights. I know he keeps in touch with the club in, in various manners yeah. even to this day. Yeah, nice. Good stuff. All right, Jordan. Hey, listen, we'll let you go, mate. I know you're, uh, you're, it sounds like you're getting close to getting to the ground. So we'll let you go and enjoy your football and get a beer in before kickoff as well, mate. Thanks very much for your time. Appreciate it, Ricardo. Anytime. Cheers. Uh, there you go, uh, Jordan Canellis, uh, one of the A League commentators from SEN over in Australia, talking uh, the FFA Cup or the Australia Cup as it's now called. Yeah, those four games will kick off in 43 minutes, and they are all streamed live on YouTube as well. If you want to go and find the Melbourne City, a dollar thirty-six favourites to beat the Wellington Phoenix, who are paying six fifty, four eighty the draw in that one. Adelaide City, as I mentioned, 480 against the A-League opponent, Adelaide United. So a derby there. Uh, Adelaide United, $1.57 favourite. The draw at fours. And Adelaide City at $4.80 at the TAB. Avondale Heights uh, in North Melbourne there, five fifty to beat the Brisbane Roar at $1.44 with a draw at $4.50. And then the Oakley Cannons, where Jordan's off to paying $1.25 to beat Brisbane City, who are paying 8 bucks. And the draw is $5.50. And those teams are out, yep, for... Uh, Phoenix fans, if you want to have a look, uh, the teams are out, and uh, that Phoenix team that they have put out is a pretty strong-looking uh, starting eleven. Ollie Sale in goal, Callan Elliott, Josh Laws, uh, Scott Wooten, and Sam Sutton as the back line. Clayton Lewis and Nicholas Pennington are the holding midfielders. The attacking midfielders are Ben Old and Bozdar Krayev, the new Bulgarian international signing. Ben Wayne and Costa Barbarousis are up front. On the bench, Alex Poulsen is the reserve keeper. Then Finn Sermon, Oscar Van Haddam, Jan Saas, who is the new Brazilian winger that they've just signed, Jackson Manuel, uh, Noah Curantani, uh, and uh, Riley Bidois uh, fill out the bench. So a few of the academy players on the bench for the Knicks tonight for that game kicking off at 9.30. It is uh, 12 away from 9 here on SENZ. It's eight away from nine here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Paul with you through till 11 o'clock this evening. I uh, just had the final whistle in the uh, Wednesday night NPC match. Otago getting the win over Hawks Bay. Uh, 18 to 13, the final score. A tight contest this one and a big win for Otago. Uh, a great one for them. They, they've got to back up this weekend because they have to, uh, they've got the big Southern Derby on. So they will be playing Southland this weekend. So a big win for them against Hawke's Bay. And for Hawke's Bay, uh, you know, they've had a, a reasonably solid start to the season. I mean, they beat uh, Counties in that uh, in that Shield game. They drew with Waikato, who are two very uh, decent teams as well. But uh, this will be a bit of a blow. Josh uh, Sims, their coach, won't be happy they drop that one. They do get a bonus point for finishing within seven. But yeah, 18 to 13, Otago winning that game. And fantastic for them. What it means, uh, looking at the uh, at the ladder, well, I, they haven't quite updated that yet. But uh, I mean, Hawks Bay, uh, we talk derbies. Hawks Bay have got Manawa two this weekend, so um, they're both teams uh, backing up with derbies this weekend. Uh, but what that means is that uh, Otago get that win, th- the five, uh, sorry, the four points for it, 
at this stage will lift them to the top of the odds conference above Hawke's Bay. Uh, or on the same points as Hawke's Bay, because Hawke's Bay will get a bonus point. So there you go. That uh, game in the odds conference, as it were, they've got to come up with better names than the odds at evens conferences, don't they? Uh, uh, but as yeah, a good win for Otago. Solid win, especially against a team in their conference as well, a team that's topping uh, the conference at the moment. So the uh, NPC uh, carries on. Of course, we do have another full round kicking off on Friday night, and that is Counties Manukau take on Waikato. Counties into a $2.35. They were out at two seventy at one point, uh, but of course they do have uh, Nipo, Lau, Lala, Hoskins, Satutu and Dalton Papali'i available. They were released to them from the All Blacks, so maybe that's affected the price. Two thirty-five. they are now playing Waikato, who are paying $1.62, and the draw is $18. Uh, Taranaki, who have uh, done it rough so far this season, uh, got touched up by Bay of Plenty last weekend. They're at home to Canterbury, who of course have been on fire. Taranaki, Paying six dollars in that one, the Cantabs a dollar eleven, even though that is in Taranaki. Wellington hosts Northland, their favourites a dollar twenty-five. Northland paying fours, and then the Saturday uh, late afternoon game is North Harbour Tasman uh, Harbour two dollars seventy, Tasman a dollar fifty. The draw is at eighteen dollars. Then on Sunday. Uh, just the one game, which is, uh, it's not just the one, there is another game, isn't there? Auckland versus Bay of Plenty. Auckland big favourites at $1.42. Uh, Bay of Plenty paying $2.80. And uh, yeah, it seems it's not a market up for that Hawks Bay two game just yet. Maybe that's because Hawks Bay have just played and no market up for the Southland Otago game yet either. But uh, yeah, big round of NPC coming your way. Uh, this weekend and of course we have a test match this weekend as well uh, between uh, the Black Ferns and the Aussies, uh, that one taking place in Christchurch so make sure you watch out for that because that is going to be the big game on your TV on Saturday night, the Black Ferns are taking on the Aussies, I believe that one is in Canterbury so one to look out for, keep an eye out for that one. It is coming up to 9 o'clock here on SENZ, when we come back it is Hoopheads Justin Nelson and Casey Frank in the house. It's just gone 10 o'clock here on SCNZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock tonight. Uh, coming up shortly, we're going to be joined by Matt Reed, out of the UK football journalist, and uh, we're going to talk to him about a few things, including the transfer window, which uh, is open, and uh, we're still seeing rumours and activity. Another two weeks of this before that all settles down. You can concentrate on your football. Uh, we'll talk Everton, we'll talk United, we'll talk Darwin Nunes the new Liverpool signing as well as amongst other things. Uh, now, I did mention earlier in the evening the Wellington Phoenix are playing in the Australian Cup. Uh, they are playing Melbourne City, who, uh, of course, they knocked out last season, uh, but uh, one of the big boys in the league. And currently, uh, they lead Melbourne City 1-0. A Costa Barbarossa's goal giving them the lead after 19 minutes. We'll keep you up to date with that as the game progresses. But joining us now uh, to talk football from the UK is Matt Reid. G'day, Matt. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Matt. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Uh, I think uh, considering, good considering, shall we say, as a Manchester United fan at this stage of the season, nothing is easy. No. No, absolutely. Well, it may, I was going to say it makes a change, but it doesn't, does it? Because it's years and years and years of this now. Um you're, 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 you're in that position that a lot of people were saying, well, you know, big change of manager and you know, look what happened to uh, 
to Liverpool after they uh, they had ended their run of title wins and um, and it all went wrong and they didn't win for a couple of seasons and, and that's where United are now, I'm afraid. Yeah, a lot of work to do and it doesn't feel like a manager's got much to do with it, really. I think uh, the, uh, no. the, the the owners and, and a few of these, I mean, I see John Murtagh, who has you know, effectively taken over running the transfer policy. Is, he's just another banker, so it's, it's more of the same. Uh, blokes who don't even know how to play football manager on the PC, let alone do it in real life, uh, running the transfer business. It's uh, it's horrible to watch. Yeah, yeah, I do. And, you know, with my um, my non-anti-United um, hat taken off, I'm not anti-United in the slightest, I'm strictly impartial, but I grew up at a time when in the playground... Um, and I grew up in Norfolk. Um, probably half of the children in the playground were Manchester United fans, but they were very much part-time Manchester United fans. They're not engaged in the way that you are, Rick. It was it was a uh, it was a continual grind as a non-Manchester United fan to uh, to just watch year after year Manchester United winning the title, and that's that's what happened in the 90s and noughties. Um, it's now a, a very different time, and I and I I do truly feel for Manchester United fans because there was a, a huge hardcore, best supported team in the country without a question, um, who are pulling their hair out at the fact that the club is being run as a business, uh, and it's being run to make money and to be asset stripped um, and repeatedly year after year with extra funds being taken out of the club, the focus being on the commercial and being on the revenue rather than actually being on how to make Manchester United a successful and winning team. And it's uh, it's a destruction of a, a key asset for the UK and for UK football. So it is a, it is a real shame. Yeah, I mean, there has been some talk of, um, you know, a, a consortium potentially. I know Michael Knighton's trying to put something together um, and there has been uh, some talk about Sir Jim Ratcliffe being involved as well. Is, is, is there anything to that, do you think, or is this all just... And United fans who are hoping uh, making up stories. Uh, there, there, there are definite um, legitimate quotes coming out from key and very wealthy figures, but they are quotes that have been generated by um, by good reporters uh, asking questions at junkets and at uh, and at uh, media opportunities for their businesses. Uh, and kind of connecting two things together and creating a situation out of it. I, I, the issue at the moment is that man, the, the owners of Manchester United, the Glazer family, have no interest in selling. Now, that could change if there is a significant drop-off in um, in commercial um, turnover and in, in, in revenue generated by the club, by ticket sales, TV rights, long-term, etc. That's quite a long-term thing, but there are plans for the Liverpool match for non-attendance. And these, these, uh, these protests have been, have been in place um, in the past and they've really come to being 5,000, 10,000 fans. The real, the real hardcore of uh, anti-Glazer protesters um, you know, putting their money where their mouth is or putting their feet where their mouths are and, and not attending or from standing outside the, the ground or from a green, green and gold protest, etc. But the numbers haven't been great enough. The, the, because of the, the poor start to the season, because of getting, getting drubbed by one of the lowest funded but best well-run clubs in the country in, uh, in Brentford, and to be fair, Brighton are in a fairly similar position to them um, as far as being really well-run and uh, not particularly um, like, you know, funded in a, in a big way, outperforming themselves. Um, 
that there is a growing momentum. And uh, I think that this protest is getting much more attention now from the national press, um, but it's also from fans groups and from um, the wider Manchester United audience rather than the real hardcore Stratford-Enders. So I I think there's a really good chance that the stadium could be 20,000, 30,000 people short of what it should be for the Liverpool match, which is one of the standout matches of the season. And potentially there could be a picket line created all the way around Old Trafford, which in that situation, the tourist fans, the uh, the people who aren't uh, aren't engaged in in the in the bigger um, project of Manchester United, who are there for seeing a club who they love, but they maybe only go and see them once or twice a season, they'll be fully aware of the situation. And if a picket line is formed around this around the the ground, with uh, I'm not suggesting there should be aggression, but with the kind of like the uncomfortable atmosphere that that brings and the, the, the feeling of like malevolence, then that could potentially put off a lot of people from going into the ground. And even though they bought their tickets, it could lead to a lot of empty seats. So this is, this is where the power lies with the fans. The fans need to be um, draining money from the club and from showing that, that revenue will be reducing. And that's, that's the way to, to create a change because that's what drives the Glazer family. Now I know that uh, against the, the the last game of the preseason against Rayo Vallecano, they uh, protested uh, across the front of the superstore, so no one could get in, and yeah. they end up having to shut the superstore. Uh, uh, I, I would imagine that that is the sort of thing that's going to get attention. I, I saw John Smith, uh, who's a football agent, talking on Talk Sport the other day. He suggested that uh, he thinks the Glazers will probably sell within the next two years, and that there's. Um, a bunch of different suitors lined up who, who who are interested in buying it, but his point was there's six Glazer siblings, and that's part of the problem is trying to get them all to agree on anything. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is definitely part of it. Um, there is a there isn't there isn't just the, the the one dominant Malcolm Glazer. There are there are a lot of people who are involved in the ownership and in the profiteering from Manchester United, um, and. It's very hard. I mean, the more, as you as you probably know from working in in larger and smaller businesses, the the, the bigger the organisation, the more people you have to go through to get approval for things to go on, and the slower it, it takes to get things done. But the, the 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 long and short of it is, if you if you have enough money being offered to uh, the Glazer family, and they can and and enough hassle on the other side of it from retaining their assets, that's what's going to create the sales situation. So if uh, if a Jim Ratcliffe who is worth billions and billions and billions um, is is going to come in and is going to offer serious money to purchase the uh, purchase um, United, and it will be the equivalent of taking 20, 30 years to be uh, to be making that money out of the continual asset stripping and all the rest of it. Then then that will be the driver for the sale. But the, it's going to need to be an enormous offer for a club which is really really struggling. The alternative, of course, is. Um, Manchester United um, being relegated at the end of the season. That's mm. uh, the, the alternative driver. And it's extremely unlikely because there are seven or eight very weak clubs at the moment in the Premier League um, who are who are probably going to be a good a good 10, 10 points short of the of the top 10 to 12 teams because there is this big divide in, in um, the level and the quality of management and the level of performance of these teams. Um, so it's hard to see Manchester United going down. But um, you know, if it carries on like this, then that could be enough to you know, to panic the Glazers because um, as much as the enormous revenue generated by 
by shirt sales and ticket sales at Manchester United is a big thing. It's nothing compared to TV money, and that TV money disappears if you're relegated to the Premier League. Yeah, well, I mean, it also disappears if you don't make the Champions League or you don't make the Europa League, right? So, I mean, that's got to be hurting for, to, a, a little, at least. Yeah, but it's but it's not it's not comparable. I mean, the the power of the Champions League deal um, was diminished and watered down significantly a couple of years ago when the latest Premier League deal um, was signed. Um, Yes, it's it's an important top up, and it's what and it's what separates um, the top four teams from the teams below, and the top six teams from the teams below from, from the rest of the league. Um, but it's it's the bulk of the money is from the from the Premier League deal. The Premier League deal is the big deal, um, and the, uh, the Champions League deal is a is a is a nice large cherry on top. Um, but yeah. If, if Manchester United have a few seasons outside of the uh, outside of the, the Champions League, then wage bills will come into play, and um, again, the asset looks less desirable to a uh, to to owners who are getting a lot of hassle, a lot of flack, and um, will be thinking, well, where are our returns from this? You know, is this something which is a benefit to us anymore? Should we get out? Uh, and there will be brand damage. If it goes on for long enough, there will be brand damage because as much as you hand down your shirt to your son and your daughter. Um, it's uh, it, it becomes less of an appealing thing to be picked up and to be a Manchester United fan if Manchester United aren't a team who are one of the big clubs and who are in and around and challenging for all of the history and all of the culture and all of the incredible things attached to Manchester United. Winning is is a drug to a lot of fans, and that's that's the, that's the thing which keeps the top teams at the top. And I mean, look on the streets of uh, um, I mean, I live in the Midlands, I live in Leicester. Um, but I travel around the country a lot for work, and you look on the streets of every every city and town. And I've, I've been to Bolton recently. I've been to Manchester. I've been to Liverpool. Uh, I've been to London. And there are a heck of a lot more Liverpool shirts on the streets now than there were 15 years ago, when there were very very few, because Liverpool are a a remarkable success story, and all of this, all of the tales of the past and the the enormity of their successes are being spoken about again and they'll be spoken about as winners uh, and that's very quickly forgotten isn't it when uh, when a club doesn't win a trophy for five ten years in the way that's happened with Everton and Aston Villa uh, and Newcastle although Newcastle are kind of turning a corner now so uh, yeah yeah it's a, it's a, a time of a time of, of change potentially for Manchester United and that could be a good thing the Liverpool match uh, on Monday with attendance or non-attendance I think will be absolutely key yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. It's been uh, I see a few people have tongue and cheek build at a relegation battle, uh, third round of the uh, <laughs> of the Premier League. Of course, Liverpool have started with two draws against a Fulham team who were, I think odds on to be uh, relegated. I think they were the the, the favourite to be relegated at the start of the season. They drew yeah. with them, uh, and then drew with Palace as well. Who, of course, last time they played, I think Liverpool won seven nil. So, uh, not all going well. And, and Darwin Nunez as well with that headbutt on Anderson. Uh, gets sent off this talk that it might not be a three-game ban, but potentially a five-game ban. Yeah, it's it's a question of of how far into the um, violent conduct bounds it pushes. Um, I didn't see the game live. I, I came in and I watched the highlights, which is very bad of me, really. Um, but but having having watched it back and and I, I was listening to it as it happened because um, I was travelling, and I I expected it to be um, much more of a how am I going to put this delicately? Um, much more of a throw your head back and um, 
and you know, catch somebody you know on the bridge of the nose kind of headbutt. It wasn't quite like that um, from the way, but the, the way it was described it made, made it seem like that. And um, there actually has been a bit of a change of, uh, of tone. Admittedly, majority from uh, from uh, Liverpool-based reporters, David Maddock at the uh, at the Mirror, being a being a leading voice um, about uh, about how uh, about how, how it wasn't that bad. I mean, the fact is, it was a headbutt, um, and if you headbutt somebody, I mean, it, it, it doesn't matter if the player goes down and rolls around. It doesn't matter if there's blood. It doesn't matter this, this, and that. It, it, it's the act of headbutting somebody. Um, so there, there is being a review, and there'll be a, there, there are questions being asked about whether it will go from being the three-game ban for the red card, or um, and, or it will be increased because of the severity of the incident because um, he didn't headbutt him once strong... he headbutted him twice right he he he, 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 he tried he, to, he tried he, to he, yeah he did try he did try it was the first one was a was a was a, a slightly more innocuous backward type type um headbutt attempt um I mean, you use the word we use the word headbutt and it does paint a kind of picture it's well worth watching but please watch it at full speed don't watch it on the slow-mo because mm. i think this is where there's been a distortion from a lot of liverpool supporters groups trying to suggest that it's not that bad uh, watch it at full speed it's a headbutt there's no question about it watch it at slow speed and it, it looks like he's almost missed his and missed his face when he's trying to headbutt him he kind of catches him below the chin um but it doesn't change the fact this is uh, an extremely aggressive act and uh, and it's something which is not going to be welcomed by um by the premier league and officiating will be there will, there will be there will be meetings um you know behind closed doors and um I, we expect to be hearing about it from before the end of the week about the uh, about the length of the ban yeah. um it, it's it it continues a bit of a, a bit of a tone about the challenges of adjustment of Argentinian and Uruguayan players who are among the most feisty, um, who uh, are involved in football uh, and um, who, who stand up for themselves. Let's put it that way. Um, going back to the days of Gabriel Einzer at, um, at Manchester United in his, in his first season um, with some very suspect tackling and then moving on to uh, Luis Suarez, obviously with his long career of controversial moments. Uh, and you know there, there were countless examples um, of um, of suspect and slightly too aggressive um, play and uh, responses to being basically being jostled and shoved around by defenders uh, or by your opposite man. And uh, it's going to be a very steep learning curve for Nunes. I suspect if he does only get a three-match ban, there's a very good chance that Klopp will not put him back in automatically because it is such a naive thing to do, and it's so incredibly unhelpful to his team for him to show that lack of control in the way that he did. He, didn't, he hadn't played particularly well, was undoubtedly wound up by missing a couple of good chances on his home debut and all the excitement built up and attached to that. Um, but, you know, this, this, he's, not, he's not 18 years old. You know, he's, this, isn't, this isn't his first like, you know, professional match and it's not even his debut for Liverpool because he's played in the away match. It uh, it's, uh, shows a lack of control and a lack of understanding about how to handle yourself mm. at the top level. I know when I say top level, he's played in Portugal and he's scored lots of goals. Um, but this is you know, the the Premier League of Premier Leagues. This is the top league in the world. And there are some very clever and wily defenders. Um, and he wasn't really even being wound up that much. So there needs to be a bit more control from Nunes. And I think there'll be some points um, very clearly made by uh, Jurgen Klopp to say, well, you know, you might you might have had your three game ban, 
I think maybe you'll miss another one now because you're not you're not deserving of coming back in the team because you let us down so badly with what you did against Crystal Palace when we should have been winning. Mm, yeah, it's interesting to see how that is going to play out. Of course, I, I did like it. He's already, you know, like Luis Suarez, got Chewy Suarez. He's already been dubbed Angry Carol instead of Andy Carol, I, I see, because they've got so many haircuts. So, uh, yeah, th- this might stay with him. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, opposition fans think, oh, he's a bloke we can wind up and, and, and target him. Hey, the, uh, the um, powers that be have got a busy week then because they've not only got this to deal with but uh, they've got a couple of managers out of London and Thomas Tuchel and Antonio Conte to deal with and well I don't think Conte's going to get off scot-free Thomas Tuchel said a lot of things post-match after the incident uh, which I think will probably even get him in more trouble yeah yeah absolutely um, so Tuchel spoke about the uh, about the officiating um, there was uh, there was a, 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 a an inference of um, Andy Taylor not being suitable for uh, for refereeing um, matches of this level, uh, talking about um, or ch- challenging the uh, the decisions that were being made. He didn't go out and uh, and call him a cheat. It wasn't it wasn't pushed to that kind of uh, level. But there was a lot there was a lot of undermining of the referee. Um, and again, where the wily managers and the managers who've been burnt by this in the past will say, well, I can't talk about that, I'll get into trouble, or, you know, they'll choose their words more carefully. Tuchel, who's a very experienced manager now, um, he, didn't, he didn't really um, pull his punches. So, so that's, that'll be a big issue for him. And obviously that's coming off the back of um, the interaction, shall we call it, with, uh, with Conte at the end of the, uh, of the match, where I have a little bit of sympathy with him. Um, the, uh, the, the, kind of, uh, the throwaway nature of the handshake from Antonio Conte was pretty disrespectful, um, but it was, uh, it's quite a quick reaction to be grabbing hold of his hand and holding onto it as he's, as he's walking away rather than releasing it, with, with you know, not receiving some, like, some eye contact half a second later. So Tuchel, the aggressor, uh, then Conte flew off the handle when he when uh, Tuchel refused to let go of his hand and kind of drew him back in and uh, accused him of being unsporting uh, and saying that he should have made, made eye contact and had a bit of respect in his handshake. Um, it's, it, Tuchel tried to play that part of it down in his post-match, uh, whereas Conte was slightly more robust um, in his answers on the topic. I, I, because of the size of the melee, this, these situations are, nor- are normally... Um, lead to more punishment off the back of the response to the situation. So if, if it had been the two of them, as has been, as has been hammed up with memes and things like that, had been one, one grabbing the other's hand and shaking hands and then spinning around and doing a dance to uh, some Strictly Come Dancing music <laughs> in the way that it's been kind of dressed up online, um, then that would have been, it would have been uh, swept away and it wouldn't have been an issue. But the, you then had um, Chelsea security coming in, you had coaches, you had pretty much the entire uh, Chelsea and uh, uh, Tottenham teams coming in and getting involved. You had Aspilicueta coming in and winding up Antonio Conte at the end of it, his former manager. Um, so that, so it, it just it dragged on too much. And um, even though uh, punches weren't thrown, and and it was and it was just a really like like a, a prolonged and awkward holding of hands, it is something which the is unedifying and it's uh, and it's not um it bringing the game into disrepute is the term that's used um and that's a bit strong but it's it's an it's an unsavory scene that the football authorities don't want to have attached even though it has us talking and it has fans um you know chatting on the topic for days um it's not something which can be encouraged so there will be punishments like doled out to uh, to both chelsea 
and Tottenham are probably in the form of fines. Yeah, fines uh, for failing to control their managers rather than their players. Uh, and and probably uh, reasonably, I don't know, lengthy, but I would say more than one game touchline bans for both of them as well off the back of... Uh, yeah. Because you I, had I, the halftime thing as well. Yes, they 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 have the half they have the halftime moment. They, they already had the uh, the red cards were, were, were dished were dished out, and then it didn't calm down quickly. So, um, I, I I I suspect it will um, it will be maybe an extra games ban for both for both managers. Um, what normally happens, and it's not just, is that even if one party is responsible for something happening, or one party is the chief aggressor. Um, you do normally find that there is an even ha- an even handing out of uh, of the punishments just to keep everything quite cordial, cordial being uh, an interesting word to use. Um, so I, sus- I suspect there'll be a two game ban for for both of them, and there will be a, a large fan- fine. The, f- the fine will probably be based on the number of people uh, involved in uh, in in the melee, uh, and so there might be a slight difference there in the thousands of pounds that the clubs have to pay out for the uh, disruption. Mm, yeah, all right, mate. Uh, let's uh, move on one more uh, to one more topic, which is uh, Everton. Of course, across the uh, across the, uh, the Stanley Park from Liverpool, uh, quite uh, contrasting fortunes uh, for them over the last few seasons. Uh, Frank Lampard is uh, in charge there, um, and recruitment's not going. You talk about recruitment not going well for United. Recruitment's not really going well for them either. They've got they've lost Richarlison. Uh, Calvert Lewin is injured for some time. And uh, they they really are down on firepower, but he seems intent just by every midfielder around. Um, uh, and and now he's trying to get rid of one in Dali Alley. Um, I mean, where's where's things gone wrong for Dali Alley? Was a regular at England, was a regular at Tottenham with Harry Kane, and now he can't get a game at Everton, and he's still only twenty six. There's this thing in football called second season syndrome. And Deli Ali's second season syndrome didn't happen in his second season. It happened after the World Cup. So he so he he'd reached a point where he where he signed a new contract at Tottenham, which had more than doubled his money. Um, he um, he then started getting more getting more involved in social media. He then started getting more involved in the uh, in the social and celebrity scene. Not to suggest he was going out and to China Whites or leading leading nightclubs and uh, and like you know, getting drunk at night and that kind of thing. But he was he was his eye was slightly taken off the prize, and he he didn't manage to kick on from the World Cup where he where he was viewed as being one of England's best players. Um, this is back in 2018. He. There's also a documentary with uh, where Jose Mourinho um, kind of unpicked his game and where things had gone wrong, saying that he wasn't training particularly well. Um, there was a break-in at his uh, at his house, not far from the top from the Spurs Lodge, the training ground, um, where I can't remember the exact details, but there was, but they, but him and members of his household were kind of uh, were, were were held by the by the looters in the house. Um, and all of this has just been a kind of a pointer to um, an unsettled and an unhappy time for uh, for Deli Alley. And it's been some time now. It's you know he had his first two seasons at Spurs, and he came in from MK Dons as a five million pound signing, and he was scoring goals. He was a significant link up with um, with Harry Kane. It was the two of them together before Jung um, Min Son had kind of come along as the as the key. Right-hand man or left-hand man to uh, to Harry Kane, and he was a star. He was an absolute star of that team. And Tottenham were a top-four 
um, team at the time, reaching Champions League finals uh, a little bit later, etc. It's just it's gone wrong over the last couple of years, and uh, for multiple reasons. But his 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 eye has been taken off the prize. Money has become a a bigger player, and this is what so often happens with young players, young players who who get embroiled in the celebrity of football and in the wealth of football lose their focus. Players who have targets, who don't believe they've made it and continue to graft and to drive on and to keep working and working and working and obsessing about playing football are the ones who go on to have long and rich careers. This is the the kind of Paul Scholes mentality, the Steven Gerrard mentality, the players who really, really love the game. Um, Wayne Rooney as well. It's the street footballers, and uh, there were, and there's just been have been too many additional details attached to Deli Ali's uh, career and life. There's also a lot of questions. I was I've been in a number of, uh, of mixed zones and interview opportunities with uh, with um, with Deli over the years. And I remember at uh, at England the um, when he was still a, a first choice pick for the England team. So it was probably about 2017, 2018, maybe even 2019 time. I can't remember exactly when it was. Um, but when the questions were coming up about him changing his name on his shirt from Ali, as he was, as he had always had in his shirt, um, the surname of his estranged father, um, to Delhi, and uh, and the the national press, I had no interest in this. It's a very tedious story. We're just obsessed with his father and with the story in the background of this. Um, it's not the kind of journalism that I go in for. And that affected him. He, he was. It was a. It was a. He'll have a little. He had a little chat. The question came up. I rolled my eyes, and 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 they and he left. Um, and it, and all of these extra issues around Deli Ali's life have been a distraction from what is his remarkable uh, technical ability, his his reading of the game, his ability to find space, and to uh, and to and to score when, when given half a chance in a very packed penalty box. And he he was a player like a Frank Lampard and like a Steven Gerrard, well, more, more Lampard than Gerrard, but he was a player who could score 10 to 15 goals in a season. Uh, and now he's a player who's struggling to get into a struggle, or last season was struggling to get into a struggling Everton side. I think Everton are letting him go predominantly because of the wage and the wage bill and because of the cost that they'll have to pay. He's a, he's a £40 million signing for them, four zero million. Uh, Everton are battling against financial fair play limitations. They're an incredibly rich club. They've got a decent turnover. They've got a very rich owner who's worth about £2 billion. Um, but financial fair play is the controller of what you can spend. And Everton have overspent over the last three years. So they've been balancing the books with some of their sales. Um, if they have to pay, if they play Ali for another eight games, then uh, they'll have to pay to make the first instalment payment of his £40 million fee, which I believe is either £10 or £20 million. And it's money that, at the moment, for a player who's who's not scoring goals, he's not looking like scoring goals, so a few nice little touches for them, it's just not worth it. So I think it's a cutting of cloth, and I think they would be very happy for him to go to Besiktas, who are, who are pursuing him, and I think would like him but on a permanent deal, but there's also an option for a loan. Yeah, right. Interesting. Uh, and just before you go, mate, I mean, given that Frank Lampard is his boss there, is his coach, manager uh, at Everton, are you surprised he hasn't been able to get a tune out of him? Or, and what do you think that says about him as a manager? I, I think it's, you look at it and you think, well, Manchester, Frank Lampard was a uh, an attacking midfielder and a goal-scoring midfielder, just like Deli Alley used to be. Um I think it says a lot more about uh, about 
Ali and his ability to and his willingness to listen to the critique and for him to strip back his game and to start again. He's he has had more opportunity uh, at Everton because Everton are operating obviously on a lower level at the moment than Spurs were. Everton uh, last season finished um, 16th place compared to Spurs who finished in the Champions League positions. Um, so he had he had more game time. He was getting 15, 20 minutes off the bench and he was actually playing reasonably. Um, but I would suggest, and this is me being very cynical here, that Everton signed him um, knowing that the probability was they wouldn't be they wouldn't be retaining him and that he would be used as a temporary stopgap to keep them up or to play a part play a part in keeping them up last season. And if he really excelled, that'd be another matter. Lampard, the manager, doesn't typically um, he he drives strategy, but it's the coaches who are the ones who are there to uh, to develop players and to uh, and to to pull them apart and put them back together again um chelsea and um, uh, everton with a lot of the old chelsea boys with uh, ashley cole in place um with uh, paul with paul clement as well in place they have some very um good coaches and some very experienced people um it's just uh, it's just not worked out for deli alley so i think i think um you can't put this one on frank lampard but there is a little bit of uh there is more speculation with the start of the season and the fact that Ali hasn't proved a, a, a roaring success. So the uh, the jury will remain out on Mr Lampard for the time being. Yeah, good stuff. All right, Matt. Hey, listen, thanks very much for coming on and having a chat. Uh, we'll catch up with you again soon, mate. Enjoy the rest of your day. It's a great pleasure. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Uh, Matt Reid there, uh, English football journalist. You can follow Matt Reid, R-E-A-D-66, on Twitter. He's uh, done a lot of really, really good interviews over the years, uh, particularly gets in with the young players before they become a big name. So some of the big names that he has talked to early in their careers, like uh, he was the first journalist to interview Raheem Sterling, uh, Theo Walcott, uh, Ross Barclay, a few others as well. Definitely worth uh, checking out his work. We are 28 away from 11 here on SENZ. 23 away from 11 here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Paul with you through till 11. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was interesting hearing from Matt Reid about a few things out of uh, English football, uh, the fall of Dali Alley too. Um, you know, now it looks like he's being uh, offloaded by Everton to Besiktas in Turkey because they couldn't get him to work for them. Uh, full-blooded England international who was a big, uh, big part of the squad at the uh, 2018 World Cup and he's still only 26. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with him and whether he can get it back around. Earlier tonight, if you missed it, there was a game in the Bunnings NPC and uh, Otago got up over Hawke's Bay, 18-13. to It uh, means Otago, who lost their first game of the season by a point at Counties, uh, have since beaten Tasman, by six, and beaten Hawks Bay by five. Now, the Tasman and Hawks Bay, based off last year, were two of the better performing teams. So uh, things are good, looking good for Otago. Some really good signs uh, for uh, for them. And um, that, I think, is going to be an interesting race in the odds side of the uh, NPC table, uh, which is weird. Odds and evens. They've got an odds and evens side. Didn't they come up with better names than odds and evens? Just a it's a bit of a head scratch of that one. But anyway, I mean, you could even sell them, right? Right? You could sell the naming rights. So you could have, for example, I mean, it's the Bunnings NPC, right? So I don't know. Who have you got uh, from a hardware point of view? I mean, you could have a uh, the, Razine, the Razine League and the Waddle League or something. I don't know. Um, but, you know, uh, better than odds and evens. Surely, Ben. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really weird names. But just going on Hawks Bay... 
I, I am looking quite a bit ahead here, but they don't defend the Shield until uh, for another 10 days. August 27th, they play North Harbour. Based on what you've seen this year, I think you could make the case that North Harbour have a very strong chance of winning the Shield back, and I think they've only won it once. They have, yeah. Which got was a terrible Shield record, Harbour. Which was 2006. I remember it coming to my local school. But I think they only had it for like a week. Yep. When, when they had it, but uh, still managed to make time to come to my school, which was great. But um, look, at this, as, as things right now and what I've seen in the opening cup, um, round or two, I think Harbour could win that. And I know I'm looking quite a bit ahead. See Hawks Bay play Manawa 2 uh, this coming week, and that is, uh, sorry, on the 21st, and that's uh, definitely a winnable game on, on the Sunday. So they got the two games this week. And then I, I really think Harbour could, could win that one. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Well, Harbour, Harbour for the Shield. That's uh, Ben's call. Uh, they do have Manawatu in between, you said, eh, Hawks Bay? And that's a derby. Yep, on but, Sunday, yeah. Yeah, but Manawatu have been poo this season. They've conceded like 60 points just about every time out, I think. Yeah, well, it could it could, it could give uh, Hawks Bay that bit of confidence they need, but I'm purely just going off based on what I've seen. I think many people felt Hawks Bay uh, would be pushing for the title, if not winning the title, you know, you just just look at the depth of the squad they've got, and I think they've been a little bit under par this year mm, so yeah. far. And I know it's only early rounds, as we've touched on Manchester United. That's the main example at the moment. Liverpool struggling, and they'll 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 be back up there. But it's I I really think Harbour could push them, and I know I'm making this call ten days out. But yeah, that's right. That's good. Though. But when but when Harbour win it, I'll I'll replay this clip and say, "Told you so." Told yeah, no fair play, fair play. Oh, on Manawatu, you yeah, they conceded. 62 points to Canterbury in the first game, 45 to Auckland in the second, and 64 to Harbour last game out. So defence is optional, obviously, uh, there at the moment. So not going great. So you'd think Hawks Bay would win that and win that comfortably. But, uh, yeah, Harbour, I mean, they haven't had a a bad season at all. I mean, they had that big win against Manawatu. I don't know how much you can take out of that, given what we've seen from Manawatu so far this season. They lost by 10 points to Auckland, uh, though, so... Uh, they have, but that was their first game, and it's always a tough game, your local derby, particularly against a strong province like Auckland. But uh, interesting to see how they go. So, mm, two games in, a one big win and one close loss against a uh, top side, North Harbour. What do you reckon? Any chance in 10 days that they are lifting the shield, like Ben thinks? Uh, you can give us a call 0800 150 811, 0800 150 or double eight double three is the temper bed post text machine. Uh, Michael has texted through. Uh, Joe Schmidt, what role for the All Blacks? Well, um, according to what Ian Foster said earlier today, he was originally going to be an independent selector replacing Grant Fox, but now uh, since the beginning of the Irish series, he has been part of the coaching setup. Uh, now he'll work basically on uh, in, in the video room doing analysis and also alongside uh, Ian Foster working on tactics. So that's what his role is going to be, Michael. Thanks for your text. Uh, and on that, yeah, the uh, the Ian Foster, we're sticking with him from New Zealand rugby. It was a weird one for me. I don't know. I'd, I'd, I think thought it was the wrong appointment to start with. Thought it was wrong to re-sign him when they did, and I think they're wrong again now. Um, but what do you think? Can you hear from you? 0800 150 or double eight double three? Because, I mean, that's the other thing, as New Zealand rugby said today when they announced this, uh, that here's the changes we're making for our review. And one of those was putting Joe Schmidt as part of the coaching group. It was like, he's been part of the coaching group since before the Ireland, Ireland series, so you've done nothing. 
basically. You've taken all this time to do nothing. You held a press conference on Sunday to tell us you weren't making any decisions till later in the week, and then you've waited later in the week and you've made no decision. That's effectively what's happened, Ben. I kind of always think back to what Hamish Bidwell was touching on on Monday, and he said the media have seen this for a lot a few years with New Zealand rugby, mm. and now the public are kind of starting to realise, this. okay, this is what they have to deal with. And I'm a bit in the same boat. Like, it's not necessarily that I am jumping up and down saying I want Scott Robinson in the job. It's more the fact uh, I feel that the wrong decision was made appointing Ian Foster. I look at success previously as a head coach. I think Razor... He's had success everywhere he's gone. He's worked his way up the ranks over the last 10 years, under-20s, Canterbury, NPC, Crusaders. Everywhere he's gone, he's had success. And you look at Ian Foster's record as a head coach, not as pretty. And I I really felt that was a contributing factor. And when you're not even completed your second full season as the head coach and you're already making changes to that coaching setup, which we were told was a, a, a key factor in it, and bringing in, as you said earlier, two guys that were meant to be part of Razor's coaching stuff when he initially made his proposal, it is a really bad look. But as you say, it's kind of you kind of feel like they they probably some of them probably did want to make a change, but I feel probably some of these guys felt we can't make the change because they, they don't... As It's been touched on time and time again. They don't want to admit they're wrong. And no. Look, we're, we're sick of... It's really annoying talking about... I think everyone's heard every different possible angle and talking about it. Unfortunately, the more the public want to talk about it, the more they're going to hear about it. And, that, and that's just how it is at the end of the day. Hopefully now that all this chat will start dying down, but look, rugby will be back on next week. Argentina and Christchurch... If the All Blacks don't play well there, even if they win and don't play well, everyone's going to start. These questions are going to keep coming. They're going to keep happening, especially when it comes to playing the Wallabies and trying to defend for the Bledisloe Cup. Yeah. If the All Blacks do not play well in those, people are really these conversations are just going to keep going. So the All Blacks have to try continue emulating what they did on the weekend. They have, to, they have to keep to that standard because you could almost argue that that was the performance which saved Foster, even though on aggregate across the two tests, I think the Springboks still came out on top. Yeah, I think you're right. And I, and I think uh, we talked about it earlier, um, uh, you know, that that box team in the second test, as good as it was that to win that, that wasn't the strongest box team. They made changes, um, and I'm not suggesting that they did that to save Ian Foster's job, thinking we're way better off if he's still in and charge. We've got a conspiracy now. The, well, the, I'm not, the spring I, box. I, the spring box. I just said I'm not saying that they did this because it means he would stay in charge, but uh, it certainly, I think, helped uh, the All Blacks out with the changes that the South Africans uh, made. I think you're onto something. I yeah, think you're onto something. You might be, maybe. Uh, this text has come through no a name on it, please do chuck your name on it so we can give you a shout out when you text through on double eight double three. But when you have the backing of the board, it's not a good sign. Well, yeah, when it gets to the point that the board are having to come out and say things, uh, you know th- things aren't going well uh, on the field. Yeah, keep them coming through. Double eight double three. This is SENZ Extra Time here through to eleven fourteen away at the moment.